1: All theater lovers, both out and proud, and on the DL, welcome to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. This series is called Underestimated, and it is covering shows that either had mild success when they first premiered on Broadway or no success at all, but have since gone on to have a long and healthy life. I am your host. Matt Koplik, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts, and with me today is an alum of the pod. You know her, you'll love her. My dear friend Patrick told me privately and in confidence, sorry, Patrick, that he <laughs> adored her episode on Thoroughly Modern Millie, said that it was his favorite of the Tessori Hour series. And so I said, well, I got to bring the bitch back. Please welcome Jesse Fields. It is
2: truly a delight, my honor, and my pleasure, Matt. Let's fucking do it.
1: Let's get into this shit. Jesse, what fucking show are we fucking talking about today?
2: Oh my God. We are talking about Candide, which is a great show that I love very much and was so excited to be asked to come on and talk about.
1: I was so happy you said this. Also, in case anyone's wondering, <laughs> yes, I am eating a bagel because this whole series is a mess on my end. But
2: <laughs> it's simple. I... You got to value your body and I am right here to talk over you while you chew. Please I have do. Lots of thoughts and feelings. Don't worry. My
1: body is a temple and like any temple, it loves a good narrator. So thank we're, you.
2: Here for you. Here for you.
1: Thank you. Um, I was truly thrilled, uh, Miss J, when I asked you to come back on. And pretty much everyone went, I kind of know Candide, but I don't know if I like could talk about it thoroughly. And I don't know if I have the time to do all the research and I was like, God, I really can't not have Candide on this season. Like, this is kind of the show of all the shows this of this season that really defines this. Um, and so when I reached out to you, you were like, I love Candide. And I went, ah!
2: You have I- no idea what a nerd I am, Matt. I truly listened to Candide in high school with my band friends on the bus to marching band games.
1: Well, of course you did, because that overture slaps. <laughs>
2: And I have played it so, so, so many times on trombone and on euphonium once.
1: Because you're you're a boss. Because you're a boss.
2: I've lived a life, let me tell you.
1: (laughs) So then let me ask you this. This is our great opening question. Uh, Tell me about your history with Candide. And as you do, I shall munch on my bagel. Mm,
2: Please do. Um, Yes. And my history with Candide does stretch back to my high school days of yore, which is when I really got into musical theater. My best friend. From high school Bridget likely was like showing me times, showing me everything one of the things she showed me was Candide and we watched the like 2005 um version with with Patti Lapone and Kristen Chenoweth and I was obsessed with it I thought it was so funny we learned all the words we would sing the little songs to each other on the marching band bus um and I just think it's such a funny philosophical delight you know you may not know about me in in college I did major in theater of course but I also Mm -hmm. minored in philosophy. Um, And there's a lot of philosophy in here that I love to dig into. And then as you correctly guessed, Matt, I have played the overture to Candide about a million times and I I never get tired of it. I'm obsessed with it. I think it is like tied for my favorite overture ever.
1: It is a pretty spectacular overture. Um, (laughs) Arthur Lawrence, fucking asshole that he was, um, (laughs) wrote in... His book, I forgot which book, I think it's mainly on directing, but I could be wrong. Um, talks about how Gypsy is the definitive overture. And he goes to be, he's like, to be fair, Candide very much gives it a run for its money and would probably be considered the best overture, except for everything that comes after it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ouch.
1: And I'm like, oh Arthur Lawrence, you cunt. <laughs> um he... <What> a savage. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he died and no one misses him. So that tells Ooh. you about the life that he led. But...
2: <laughs> oh Matt, I love how spicy you are. Let's I think Let's he is spicy. Gypsy is the overture that it's tied with for me. Um,
1: so I mean, they're they are two absolutely extraordinary overtures. I <laughs> think I think my yeah, my four favorite Broadway overtures are Candide, Gypsy, Mac and Mabel, and Funny Girl.
2: Yes. You know which other one I love? It's actually Barely We, we Roll Along.
1: Yes. Um, I forgot. That's my number five. I totally forgot.
2: Nice. Big fan. Mm-hmm. Big fan of that. I was so sad when they skipped it in one version that I saw. I was like, wait. <laughs>
1: well, well, speaking of versions, yeah. the show has <laughs> versions. Oh, so I yes. Think, I think my intro to it was similar to yours. was the Philharmonic with Chenoweth and the Pone Ponsies, And and. Mm-hmm. Special shout out to Jan- to Janine Lamana who will be showing back up again on this podcast, not as a guest, but her career will be back in this. <laughs> they actually, so they filmed that, they performed and filmed it in 2004, and then it aired on PBS, I think, in 2005. And I remember that because Chenoweth took like a week and a half off from Wicked to do it. Mm-hmm. She was already kind of dealing with uh Attendance issues in Wicked and us Wicked kids were very like, <laughs> what is she doing? She barely has been performing in Wicked as it is. What is this concert she's doing?" And then all the older gays on Broadway World were like, You don't understand what Candide is. Mm-hmm. And like how big it is that she's gonna do this with the you know, with the Philharmonic and with Patty Lapone mm-hmm. Then we watched it on PBS. We're like, Oh, this is so fun. Um, and then from there went down the rabbit hole of other finding out that there are other versions of the show. Uh, because I knew. The title, like I knew of it. Mm-hmm. I fam- famously have been a theater historian since I was very young. But when you're young and a theater historian, you uh, only select the shows that interest you to learn a lot about. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I knew like, all the stuff about Chicago somewhere. and Sound of Music, but I was like, Candy, I know the title. I saw that picture of like a Barbara Cook doing a song called <laughs> Glitter and Be Gay. And I'm like, okay, whatever that is.
2: True.
1: Yeah. And then years go by and I'm like, oh, I should actually look into this. And then. I listened to, I think, yeah, I got the national theater recording in high school, which I really loved. And then I got the Broadway cast recording Barbara Cook because her Glitter and Be Gay is definitive. Mm
3: -hmm. And then
1: I was like so fascinated to listen to that version of Best of All Possible Worlds. I went, what's going on in the story here with these lyrics? This is not what I'm used to (laughs) because well, let's just get into it. What is Candide about, Jesse?
2: Oh, what a great question, Matt. I have like a short answer and an infinitely long answer.
1: Do the short, then the long.
2: Deal. My short answer is I would say it is about um, like toxic optimism (laughs) and unpacking that on a philosophical level and thinking about like, you know, what actually is life for? Is it good? Is it bad? What what, is it anything? Um, Yeah, on a a more (laughs) in-depth level, it is about, in Westphalia, Germany, a young man named Candide, a bastard, I think, uh, like the nephew. Very much a, so a bastard. Very much so an illegitimate young man, but who is like taken in by the baron, and the baron has two children of his own, Cunegonde and Maximilian, and they're both super, super hot and rich, and everyone is so happy. Um, mm-hmm. They and their friend, who is a maid and kind of a prostitute, but like sometimes for free, Paquette. The four of them are like taking classes with Dr. Pangloss and he tells them there can be no other possible world. So this is the best possible world. Everything is amazing. Everything happens for a reason. You know, live, laugh, love. Um, Not only that
1: everything happens for a reason, but everything happens for the best.
2: Yes, for the best. Everything. Nothing could be better. No matter what happens, they all believe this. They all agree. And that is where we start in this place of high, high, high optimism. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, we go like immediately to war and rape. Well, first, Candide and Cunegonde are in love. We love a little cousin romance.
3: Mm-hmm. They watch
2: they watch Dr. Pangloss like boning down with Paquette. And they're like, huh, what a cool science experiment. Maybe we should do that hot. And then, of course, the Baron is like, wow, you're a bastard. You know, no worries mm-hmm. about the cousin thing, but you're not rich enough for Cunegonde. Get out of here. He, like, joins the army, then there's a war in Westphalia, everyone is killed, like, Kuniganda is dead, Maximilian is dead, everyone dies 18 times in this show and is resurrected. It's one of my favorite parts about it. Yeah, um, everyone
1: keeps dying, everyone keeps getting raped. It's-
2: Constantly. And, constantly. Everyone. And and
1: this is played for comedy, everybody, so it remember sure that.
2: Is, it sure is. It is a highfalutin comedy. Um, war and rape happen constantly um, And they're just, they're just killed They're just always killed So mm-hmm. he finds like she's dead Often he sings like a lament over her actual corpse Often he's holding her dead body mm-hmm. As he <laughs> Before he sails off to like Oh my god where did he even go first We go all over the globe And everyone comes alive Like uh, Dr. Pangloss dies three times He travels with Pangloss briefly Pangloss gets hung While still saying this is the best of all possible worlds Candide is like whipped a million times and eventually he finds Candide again she's like in this uh, prostitutal relationship with a cardinal and quote-unquote a (laughs) prostitutal I'm coining that that's my new word Mm. um Candide like kills them both and they escape and then they go to
1: Candide kills a bunch in this show. Uh, that's one is, of my
2: favorite parts. Is he's just, it solves all his problems in a yeah. Because <laughs> he's the
1: thing about Candide for that everyone needs to know is like Candide is really just a sweetheart. He it's he really just believes in the best. So like when we talked about Sweeney Todd on this podcast, and I was on another podcast talking about Sweeney Todd, I to say how Anthony is just like the handsomest dumb dumb around. Mm-hmm. Candide is sort of the same. Yeah, and the difference is that things always work out for Anthony. Things never, work, never out work out for Candide. And the only times they ever really work out for him are when he kills <laughs> and he, and it's always against his will. Like he doesn't mean to do it. It just happens.
2: Yeah, it sure does. And it's pretty funny. Like one time he kills Maximilian and then Maximilian comes back later. Like, I, don't I know. think he
1: actually kills Maximilian twice.
2: Does he really?
1: <laughs> well, Maximilian definitely, de- de- Maximilian he definitely dies, dies twice at the very least.
2: <laughs> he for sure dies twice everybody almost everybody dies a couple times candide is alive the whole time and you know at for one minute he's in el dorado and he gets a lot of free gold so that's like a nice hour for him Mm -hmm. the golden sheep which he uses to ransom it's like a big messy like we go to a thousand places a thousand things happen and what we're really watching is candide's optimism get tested and how it starts to change over time it takes a really 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 long time for him to waver on his optimism. His first thoughts are like, you know, it must be so and then it must be me, mm-hmm. you know, like something. He's like, if
1: I'm feeling this way about mm-hmm. like if I'm being tested and thinking maybe that everything's not for the best and it's got to be something wrong with me because I'm not seeing the bigger picture here.
2: And isn't that so relatable? I'm like, oh, God, this is what they teach you. And then you start to hate yourself because you think it's wrong. Mm-hmm.
1: Actually- if ever there was a musical oh. about toxic positivity, mm-hmm. it is Candide.
2: Come to Candide to unpack your toxic positivity uh-huh. and arrive, hopefully, in a better place.
0: Life is happiness indeed, mares to ride and books to read. Though of noble birth I'm not, I'm delighted with my lot, though I've... No distinctive features, and I've no official mother. I love all my fellow creatures, and the creatures love each other.
1: As Jess has been describing this, if you start to think, well, I feel like we're kind of going all over the place and there's no real drive, that's one of the things that keeps on keeping Candide from being a successful musical in a lot of ways. And then a lot of other things that we will unpack in terms of. Many iterations of the show and what people think makes Candide work or not, at least on a musical level. But absolutely, it, it the show the show is based on a novella by Voltaire, mm-hmm. who was a very famous, very insightful French uh, writer. If you watch The Great, he is Catherine mm-hmm. the Great's favorite writer and even shows up for a while and then she's very disappointed in what he's like because he basically shows up to court and he's like uh I fuck you now I walk around and I uh I don't know I do whatever I want and life is meaningless and I fuck you and she's like what and I'm like that's the wrote, man who wrote really Candide did. bitch
2: <laughs> but yeah, yeah he really did that makes sense
1: that. yeah and so but uh he always sort of meant for the story to kind of just be a lark and in fact yeah. when it took off and became the sort of cultural sensation around the world. He denied ever having written it because then people started uh, leaning into it and and reading into like deeper meanings, which like it does have deeper meanings for sure, but he never meant for it to do that. That's just sort of the downside of being so brilliant and insightful is you write this thing that you think is a joke and everyone else goes, do you not realize that you just wrote a million insightful things?
3: For
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, Voltaire. So yeah, honest. but so,
1: but the novella is really just like a se- sequences of things for Candide and Kundaganda yeah. and everyone. There's no real overall arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just sort of ends with everyone going, well, well then what is the meaning of life? Yeah. And every version of the show has a different way that they get to this moment. And we'll talk about a couple of those different ways that they right. get to this moment. But eventually Candide just goes, there's no real meaning to life and not everything is for the best. All we can do is just do the best that we can and live each day and try to make the world a little bit better. And literally he says something along the lines of like, we'll have a farm and a house and we'll tend to our garden, which leads to the lyric we have, make our garden grow.
2: Make our garden grow. No matter how you get there, it is a very gorgeous ending.
1: Oh God, Um, it might be be my favorite finale of all time.
2: I I totally agree. I saw it at the Huntington once years ago and like flowers grew out of the stage somehow. And it was like Mm. such a magical theater moment for me.
1: Yeah. And honestly, y'all, I did not reach to this conclusion until this episode about the finale. And just going to attest to this, I DM'd her and I said, excuse you, never, <laughs> not once in my life has Make Our Garden Grow made me cry. And I've been listening to Candide for almost two decades now. Why am I sobbing now all the time? Why am I listening <laughs> to every single version of this? No matter who's singing it, I cry. I cry. I cry.
2: I think it speaks to something in the now in the world that we have today to be reminded a little bit that like gardens will still grow.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I got and like there's there's a specific line. I think I told you the specific line that really got me, right? The Kuniganda line?
2: Yes. Okay, um, so
1: then we'll put a pin in that because I it, that line will not make sense to a lot of listeners who don't know the show very well in terms of why I'm like, I love this line and why she mm-hmm. sings it. Uh, so let's talk a bit more about, about the show. Uh, so as you might know from uh, not only the stuff that I sent you, but just from Broadway lore.
3: Yes.
1: Indeed has had a very long, complicated history. Yes.
2: Oh, yes, it has.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. So the original production started from the idea of one Lillian Hellman. For those of you who don't know who Lillian Hellman was, she was most likely, no, I'll say it. She was the most prolific female playwright of her day. I think that's um, true. And probably was the most prolific until Wendy Wasserstein came along in the 80s. Uh, just, Just so successful, wrote The Little Foxes, wrote The Children's Hour, a couple of other plays that did really well, Watch on the Rhine, and then wrote a couple of screenplays for Hollywood. She was Oscar nominated, I believe, twice. Mm-hmm. And just considered one of the great playwrights of her day, and definitely like the number one female playwright. Yeah. And there's a movie about her called Julia, starring Jane Fonda. And if ever you want to know how Hollywood just glamorizes everything, look up Lillian Hellman, look up Jane Fonda circa 1977, and you'll go, ah, yes, that's Hollywood casting for you. Uh huh. <laughs> Jesse's like, you yeah, love I hate I,
2: it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know all of it. But so Lillian Hellman was brought before the House of Un-American Activities Committee. I think that's, yeah, the Mm H-U-A-C. McCarthy era. McCarthyism. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And basically, you know, hated it like everyone hated it. (laughs) And one of the few outlets for artists who were brought before the H-U-A-C was Broadway. Hollywood was doing a blacklist, all this stuff. So, you know, Mm -hmm. Broadway was really the only place you could go to to do anything at that point. Mm -hmm. and she had the idea after I guess rereading Candide saying like there's so many parallels from this to where we're living right now with McCarthy era which having it's been a minute since I read Candide but I was kind of going like I guess with like the Inquisition sure but the rest of the novella I'm not really quite seeing the parallels Lillian but I'll trust you
2: yeah I agree I think there's that auto de fe scene is very cutting now then always and then we travel around the world.
1: Yeah, I'm like, I'm not quite sure we, what we. El Dorado has to do with McCarthy, <laughs> but sure, sure. Like, I don't know what those pink sheep have to do with, you know, 1956 yeah. New America, but I you know we what? You're Lillian. Hel-
2: for, but hey, we believe her.
1: Exactly. Everyone's like, everyone's like, you're Lillian Hellman. Yeah. We trust that you know what you're talking about. <laughs> and she ropes in Leonard Bernstein, who's like absolutely he's working on West Side Story, but that kind of gets put to bed for a minute because everyone working on West Side Story is doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to work on Candide while West Side Story gets put to bed. And they go through a couple of different lyricists. They start uh, first go with uh, John Latouche, who dies. And, yep. <laughs> and then they bring a Dorothy Parker for a second. Dorothy the Parker. one who famously uh, said, use the word horticulture in a sentence. And she said, you can bring a horticulture, but you can't make her think. <laughs> God, such a great
2: uh,
3: obsessed,
1: obsessed yeah such a great wit and she was on it for about a hot second I think she could ended up contributing a lyric like just <laughs> not even like a song lyric just like one line one in word. one song yeah. Yeah. One she changed one pronoun and they went great you have you have a credit.
2: Dorothy Parker worked on this okay bye yeah.
1: and they asked her uh, she was asked after the fact she was like what was the problem with your time on Candide she was like I had a fine time working on it the problem is that there were too many geniuses in the room mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> like
1: It's like too many people who were so good at what they did that no one was willing to correct the other. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That
3: is a problem.
1: Um, Yeah. So then Candide gets put to bed while Bernstein gets back onto West Side Story, meets with Stephen Sondheim. They get along famously. Then Candide, uh, Candide gets put to bed because Candide was going through money problems. They couldn't raise enough money to do the show. So then he gets back to West Side Story. Once again, West Side Story gets put to bed because like Jerome Robbins is like, I gotta work on a new ballet. And Bernstein's like, hey, do you want to be the new lyricist on Candide? Because like the financing is back. We're like good to go. This is going to come in this season. And we're going like, to wait a year for Westside. And Sondheim was still in that era where he's like, I really don't want to be considered just a lyricist. And Hal Prince goes, hey, you want to do this You know, workshop or whatever it is of something that I'm working on? And you can write both the music and the lyrics. And sometime's like, I'm going to do this instead. Yeah. But hey, here are some friends of mine who'd be great lyricists. Bernstein ends up going with none of them and goes with... Uh, The uh, Poet Laureate uh, Richard Wilbur Who writes what Sondheim considers Some of the best lyrics in all of musical theater Which he's not wrong about Yeah, But Sondheim will come back to Candide And we'll come back to that in a second Mm -hmm. (laughs) They go out of town to Boston Tyrone Guthrie who is a Renowned Shakespeare and opera Director is directing this It's his first Broadway musical Which is not something you want No (laughs) Not with this much money on the line We have a young Barbara Cook uh, getting her first real big Broadway role in this. She's been in a couple of Broadway shows before then. Uh, she's a theater world award winner. And <laughs> I don't know. Did I did I send you that clip of Barbara Cook talking about Candide? No. Tell me so, all that. <laughs> So people mistakenly think that Glitter and Be Gay was written for her. So Barbara Cook was the first Kuniconda. She introduced <laughs> the world to glitter and be gay. Uh. And a lot of people mistakenly think that the role was written for her, that the song was written for her, it was not. Uh, the role was in place, the song was already in place. But she there, there were things about the role that I guess were tailored to her. And what she says is, you know, she comes in with her big song, they like it, and they give her two weeks to work on glitter and be gay. And she was like, "And boy, did I ever need those two weeks!" <laughs> um, she's working with the music director on it as well, and all this stuff. And she goes, basically, you know, like no one could really get through it at first. Yeah. Um, and she couldn't get through it at first. She's like, by the end of the two weeks, I wasn't super happy with my performance of it, but I could get through it. Yeah, because it is a beast. My God, it is a beast, and. She said, you know, Bernstein very accommodating. There were a couple of notes she had about, you know, placement. Oh, can I maybe trill on, down on this note? It's the Here I Drop My Wings. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They added that uh, after she said, I can't just go, ah,
2: <laughs> and it's brilliant the way it comes down. That's so fun. Yeah.
1: And she's like, and I'm drooping my wings. I'm dropping <laughs> my wings. And Bernstein's like, Yeah, absolutely, that's better. So they mm-hmm. work on that. By the time they get to Boston, she has it mastered. She's stopping the show. Mm-hmm. Although she also said, like, she wasn't having fun doing it at first because it was just such a mind fuck. Yeah.
2: That and she, makes
1: sense. <laughs> yeah, she went to, I don't know if it, she was working on like uh, some sort of like going through your third eye mantra shit while working on candy. Cause it was just like torturing her physically. And yeah. she said, I found myself uh, dreading going to the theater every night
3: mm-hmm.
1: and somewhere out of town in Boston, she finally like worked on something and she was like, you know what? If I just tell myself that I'm looking forward to doing the show I will look forward to doing the show. It's very Aww. happiness project, yet also kind of like the opposite of what Candide. Is the irony
2: of that attitude in Candide.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. She went through the opposite experience of what every other character goes through in Candide. She went through the misery and went, "I will just tell myself it's great." Um,
2: <laughs> Whatever gets you through the day, Barbara. Yeah. We appreciate your performance.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, she said. By the, she eventually got to a point where she's like, "I did start enjoying it, and I like was looking forward to going to the theater every night, and then stopped the show cold." Uh, the sh- uh, they go out of town in Boston and Sondheim tells a great story where Bernstein invites him out and Sondheim's like Lillian Hellman wrote this brilliant satirical libretto Bernstein wrote this gorgeous operatic score Tyrone Guthrie directed this gorgeous parade of costumes the problem was they all were different shows mm-hmm. and Bernstein's like you're absolutely you're right genius he's like come on in to the room where everyone is and you're a 26 year old nobody please tell internationally renowned Lillian Hellman and Tyrone Guthrie that they're working on different shows and sometimes like you're working on different shows and they went okay <laughs> thanks bye gay
2: <laughs> I mean I get it listen <laughs> that's a lot
1: I mean think about it if you're working on a show and you know it's not working mm-hmm. and you pretty you're probably aware of what it is it's not working it's just a matter of like can we actually fix it
3: mm-hmm. and then
1: some junior from Pace, Mm-mm-mm. comes in and's like, you know what's not working, right? And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Get the fuck out.
0: Wherefore and hence, therefore and ergo. Wherefore and hence, therefore and ergo. All's for the best in this best of all possible worlds. All's for the best in this best of all possible worlds. Any questions, ask without fear, I've all the answers here.
1: They open in '56. Uh, reviews are kind of all over the place. There's some reviews that are like, "This is brilliant." Some reviews that call it a giant mess. I think the t- Walter Kerr of the Times was like, "This is the most glorious of messes." Like mm-hmm. this is a he's like this is a disaster on every level, and you don't know who to blame because they're all geniuses firing on all cylinders, and it somehow ends up with this flubber of a show. <laughs>
2: I don't fully disagree with that. Like it is like a messy little show, Mm -hmm. whichever way you look at it. But I think that, God, it's such a beautiful mess indeed. I don't need art to be perfect every minute. I don't even know what perfect is. I think there's something to the mess.
1: 100%. Life is mess. So you want to have chaos. That's what makes great art. I think the difference though, is you do need a vision and you need to be able to carry it out. Yeah. Especially with this show.
2: And it speaks to what you said about like too many geniuses in the room. You don't want to step on anybody's toes. You don't want to be like that. But you also need to make it one cohesive thing. And if yeah. nobody is honest with each other or able to give critique across the board, I can't imagine how that would, would work. I mean, yeah. there'd be a lot of good there certainly. I'm sure even in or the earliest productions, there was a lot of good because it's uh, it's good in every direction. And shows are a little bit more than good pieces.
1: Yeah. I think also criticism of musical theater has progressed in a way that if that production of Candide were to come out today, like yeah. putting aside, you know, how we don't have a lot of grandeur jury musicals anymore, like putting all that aside, mm-hmm. there's like the, the design and the ingenuity of the score. Like, I think if that were to come out today, even if it still didn't work, critics would be aware of what does work about it and like the, yeah. the merit of it.
2: Absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. We have come so far.
1: <laughs> yeah. Come so far and yet also we've regressed. And gone
2: backwards, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's another thing that I talked about on uh social the other day was just sort of like listen. There's a, obviously like being caddy is great. I love a good caddy moment. Fun. Yeah. Listen. I'm saying this in confidence everybody so please don't like, you know, DM Sun Foster that I said this. But <laughs> my favorite line to talk about this season when people ask about my opinions of stuff they said, well, music, man, what do you think of the music, man? I said, the music man this year is the most impressive high school production you've ever seen. <laughs> and it's catty. It's mean, it's bitchy. But the truth is like, it is not a bad production.
3: Mm-hmm. There's
1: nothing special about it. Yeah. And like, like everything about it. You're like, I've seen a high school do this. Like they're doing it a lot better. They're doing it a Broadway quality, oh, course, but it's, of course, <laughs> but it's total high school, yeah. uh,
2: And we want the new, in the words of Stephen Sondheim. Yeah.
1: Well, like, if you're going to do a revival, like, it doesn't have to be a total rebrand, like, with this company. But, like, I don't know, like, have a point of view. Have some energy about it, you know?
2: I could not agree more. Because we've seen, I mean, we have videos. We've seen what's old. Theater is alive. And that Mm. is what we love about it, is that it's changing and evolving. And it can change and evolve every time we do it. The different people you put in it, like, Mm-hmm. It changes with us. And that is what makes it so special. That's why I love it more than movies. It's the same every time that movie.
1: It's true. It does make criticism of movies a little easier because oh, everyone's sure watching does. the same performance. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like in theater, it's like, well, you saw them on a, on a bad night. But mm-hmm. the other thing I was going to say is, as you get older, everyone, mm-hmm. and as you see more things,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you're. I'm really not trying to like drag people through the mud, but I'm just saying this your brain does kind of expand and your taste refines and you start to see things a little differently and you don't start loving everything anymore. You start to not like some things and then you start to realize why you don't like something or why something doesn't work or why something is better than something else. Why you, a performer who you've always enjoyed, you start to see like older performances and you go, Oh, that's a really cool way of doing that. Um, I always say my brain truly exploded the moment I watched Barbara Harris is uh tony performance in the apple tree and i went oh that's special what she like that's that's talent that you can't teach Mm -hmm. um and i so when i talk about talent aliens she is like who always is at the forefront of my brain Mm -hmm. and why we don't have when people are like well they're really special like they're talented but they're not a talent alien there's a diff uh Mm -hmm. but i talk about this in regards to candide when you look at some of these reviews and it was at a time when these guys were and they all, i say guys literally because they were all men yeah <laughs> yeah. R- writing, yeah writing yeah writing these reviews in like less than si- 6 hours so they really just have to kind of go with their gut feeling and what if they want to be quoted they have to write something clever and if it's a bad review then they, then it's really pithy and they don't really give any insight into why it's bad they just go drag her yeah. rip her to shreds <laughs> and Again, some of those bad reviews are fun to read, but they're not, you don't get an insight into what didn't work. You just go, Oh, what a funny bitchy review.
3: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, so the show does close after two months, mm-hmm. and this is going to be a theme in our series, y'all. We kind of discussed it a bit with pal Joey, and we're gonna discuss it in future episodes. Uh, what saves this show is the cast album.
3: Ah, uh, yes. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Candy might be if so, if pal Joey. With its studio recording in 1950 is what got interest in the show to get revived. Candide might be the first musical flop with a cast album representing that show specifically, like that production mm-hmm. that keeps it alive in the same way that, you know, Heather's bombs off Broadway and that cast album, that like,
2: cast album yeah.
1: goes viral. Beetlejuice goes viral. Uh, mm-hmm. Candide was sort of the first one to do that with the show specifically in that cast. Uh, it became a big cult phenomenon, like you were a true musical theater aficionado if you had the record, if you knew the Overture. The Overture gets played right before the show closes with uh, Leonard Bernstein conducting the uh. Philharmonic. And it uh. immediately becomes a staple with the Philharmonic. It immediately gets started played, getting played around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show gets nominated for five Tonys that year. It loses all of them, I think, to My Fair Lady, which like... Yeah. <laughs> understandable okay (laughs) understandable although okay so this is the year of my fair lady candide the most happy fella and bells are ringing all nominated for best musical and i'm like what a year for score
3: oh yeah yeah
1: they didn't have best score that year but like if ever there was a best score category i'm like okay All Muhammad Ali heavyweights boxing each other. Imagine four Muhammad Ali's boxing each other, and that is these four musical scores I just can't going toe to toe. Imagine
2: who they would have picked. What a hard, what a room. There's a musical right there about people making that decision. I okay, here's what we're going to do All we're right. going to
1: write a musical, mm-hmm. and it's the embodiment of these four scores uh, in a room having to fight for best score. In a
2: boxing ring, yeah.
1: In a boxing yeah. ring. It's the main, main event from Diana, but it's just okay. these four scores. <laughs>
2: We can just get used to set parts it'll be exactly <laughs>
1: it's like i could have danced all night is boxing glitter and be gay which is boxing somebody somewhere uh which is then boxing the party's over and and then like the opening numbers these are just scores that are just so phenomenal of the four i think bells are ringing is our ringing is probably the weakest just because it's not as like airtight as the other three yeah the
2: bar is crazy high i mean yeah
1: like we're talking like an 8.5 bells are ringing with these like yeah. 10 out of 10s out of ten.
2: truly <laughs> <laughs> my god yeah it's like drown in it that's why candida is so delicious to watch i mean for a thousand reasons actually i love a million things about it but you just get lost in the music i was getting lost in the music last night when i was like oh let me just watch this one more part before i get in the podcast and (sighs) then i was like "Mm, actually i'm gonna up for three hours and watch it all again because i want to
1: (laughs) that was me this afternoon
2: it's like infectious like i can't stop it's like addictive and it's just like you drown in the sound of it it's you think like, "Oh yeah, and then the song will repeat and I don't need to listen to that." I remember, and then it's like, "No, I want to hear them do that again."
1: <laughs> yeah. It. It's it, the score is like an is like you're taking a bath in a shape-shifting bathtub yes. that at any moment could be room temperature warm or could become a jacuzzi with with blazing bubbles or it could be steaming or be rose petals. It's like
3: Big.
2: Exactly that. I could not agree more. It shifts and, and then it comes back. It just always you get addicted to those themes and they give them to you again and again in different ways. And then of course they sink you in with make our garden grow and nothing could ever top that in the universe. So the show has to end. Yeah. Um, also, I think they found their answer <laughs> such that anyone can find an answer to like the meaning of life.
1: Yeah. It's oh my god. Uh, <laughs> well, we're gonna take a pause on the history of Candide and come back to it in a second as we talk about some of these songs because I feel like mm-hmm. they're gonna just naturally pop up with yeah. historical context.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But
1: what is your is what is your favorite song in Candide? Is it Make Our Garden Grow?
2: No, it's not. And <laughs> it it like is like of course it is like that's the best song in the world. Like maybe not really, but like I here's the thing about me, Matt, is, like, I'm a very chaotic person, and I love things that surprise me, and, like, my favorite songs in Candida are actually the really, li- like, little ones that are, like, I think my favorite song is um, You Were Dead, You Know, that little song that he sings with Kutaganda. It's a great song. I love that song, and then I love, it's so funny, it contains my favorite lyric, which, of course, speaks to the whole thing of the whole show, which is you were dead, you know. And she just says, Yes, that is very true. <laughs> yeah.
1: You were shot and bayoneted, bayoneted too. too. That, that is, is very, very true.
2: true. Oh, but love will find a way.
1: But, but then true. what did you do? We'll go I'll into, go that, into that, that another day. day. That's and that's a great life. laugh line because uh, Kuniganda, as we discussed, it's really hard to like talk about all the things Kuniganda goes through and yeah. be like, But it's funny. She, trust, us, trust us. Trust us. Yeah. It's
2: funny. <laughs>
1: yeah. Kuniganda, like, Kuniganda starts the show as a rich Kardashian. And her in the fictional European country of Westphalia or town of Westphalia, whatever it is. Life
0: is happiness indeed. I have everything I need. I am rich and unattended. To some frustration. What a pity is life is
1: and her life of privilege comes to a crashing end with the, when the war comes, and she gets repeatedly raped th- th- by a whole battalion of men and then killed, which yeah. you're like, oh my God, how horrifying. It's like, yeah. yes, absolutely horrifying. Of course. <laughs> and then, Bye. but then, but then she's still like, is alive somehow, and then ends up catching the eye of two very high status men in I think it's Spain
2: I think it's Spain I I meant to remember every location well Inquisition
1: would us. be Spain so yeah, that would make right. sense it has to be. Um, yeah so it, of Spain so she ends up becoming basically like the number one courtesan of the quote-unquote rich Jew mm-hmm. and <laughs>
2: yep and they go all the way with that too they do
1: they do um fun fact uh anti-semitism was alive and well in france during voltaire's time Uh, the only way the show kind of gets away with it is that because everyone is awful or going through awful things it's not the show in modern speak isn't trying to be like jews it's just like everything is off color just deal with it
2: Tropes. They play so much in tropes and stock characters, big absurdist moves that like, I mean, not that it matters, but like I'm Jewish and I thought it was funny. Like I really did. Like he screams oy vey and then dies. Like, OK, it's funny. Like, it's yeah, not, it's not meant to be providing any information on like Jewish culture, nor is it meant to be providing any information on like rape culture or anything like that. We're no. not getting into these things. They're thrown up there like in a big high absurdist way you don't see anything that's like there's no visible rape that is like very graphic or horrifying it sits so light and if you watch it you will get it it's not it's one of the older shows that I feel like is not very problematic and there are lyrics I think where they that really are self-aware at least in some of the versions one of my favorite ones that I watched in the 1988 version is they were saying like oh god we hate dark-skinned people and then it was like or even anyone with a tan like with that sort of awareness where like of course they're racist back then and they'd be racist but they were like and that's bad and we're trying yeah. to show you the worst things in the world yeah it's, as we crush your optimism i as think sure that's sort
1: aware. of why candy gets away with all of it is because it is constantly showing the awfulness of man mm-hmm. and the so it's we like not doing it
2: so much as it's commenting on it, is how I Yeah.
1: It. Well, so like the whole idea that everything is for the best and everything works out for the best is commentary on religion and everyone saying it's all God's plan, yes. which takes away any kind of accountability of people. Mm-hmm. So when someone, so when people go like, oh... God only gives you what you can handle. It's like, well, no, that dude should never have kidnapped that young girl and made her his sex slave in the dungeon. Like Elizabeth Smart should never have been kidnapped. That's not part of God's plan. He didn't give her only what she could handle. That was that that takes away the accountability of those assholes.
2: And that's what Um, the show is trying to say. It's like, oh, my God, everything happens for the best. Oh, even this girl getting raped 56 times again and again. Is that, was that for the best?
1: (laughs) But then also the show comments on something that I never, I was like, good for fucking them and for Voltaire for calling this out because this is where we're sort of at now, which is when people use their trauma as cloud for my opinion is like the right one because I've gone through the worst things. Yeah. So like Kuniganda and the old lady have that great face off on the boat where she's like I've been through worse you don't know what i and Kuniganda has that great speech she's like unless you've been raped by two battalions been sub- stabbed in the stomach twice been raped by two Jews and two like sultans like I don't understand how you have a worse life and the old lady's like I have one butt cheek.
2: Yeah. <laughs> she's like sit down I will spin you a yarn.
1: Yeah um leave. But the Kuniganda line and you were dead, you know, is so funny because mm-hmm. again, like she's been raped repeatedly and the way that she has survived is by being this courtesan to these two men, which the great joke here is that because they are of two different religions, mm-hmm. they split her uh, throughout the week. And then they never really know who gets her on Holy Sunday mm-hmm. because they both celebrate, but at different times of the day. So they have to like figure out when the sun actually goes down <laughs> so they can <laughs> trade her off. And Kuniganda obviously is like, crying inside but on the other hand she is a basic betty and which is the humor of glitter and be gay where she's like i my virtue is gone i have had so many men inside me against my will but oh my god my diamond is so shiny she's like and i have
2: seen it here it is yeah
1: it's literally if ever there was Song that perfectly encapsulates social media culture. It is glitter and BK <laughs> because she's like, "Hey fam, thanks for subscribing to my channel." And then she turns it off, and she's like, "But I'm crying." And then she turns it back on, and like tears running down her face. She's like, "Ha ha 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 ha." And on top of that, it is a it is a high sopranos pussy poppin' aria delight.
2: Oh my gosh. Show
1: the fuck off. Mm-hmm. We are
2: so proud. We are so honored. And we so rarely get to hear like, oh, like a big glorious soprano showstopper.
1: Absolutely.
2: And it's special, like it stands out in that way. It's yeah. such a
1: feat. So because we have millions of candides and millions of recordings, mm-hmm. what are your favorite versions of? Glitter and Be Gay. And also, You Were Dead, you know, because you love it so much.
2: Yeah, oh my god, I love it. Well, I'll tell you, Matt, like, I have a special place in my heart, and I know that I am biased because it's the first version I saw for the Kristen Chenoweth version of everything. And I think that that is largely because um, that version, it's like an operetta, you know? and But that version is a musical, is what I feel. and And it's like, in the way that they sing it, in the way that they stage it, like, they made it a little bit like a touch more modern or a touch more accessible. And all the words are so audible and I'm such a sucker for words. And that's like where I memorize them all. So it is hard to shake me from Kristen's version. I think that she nails the humor like over and over again in a way that is more acting almost than singing. Although she certainly sings it to hell. Like that is also a part of this, but sometimes she'll make choices where she just says something like, here we are in Paris, France. France. France.
1: (laughs) France.
2: You know i giggle it still gets me to
1: giggle yeah um i don't i don't think that's controversial at all i think the great debate for a lot of people is cook or Chenowith, and the problem and cook with
2: is cook- my other of course but. yeah and <laughs> cook we never
1: actually got to see her do it we only listen yeah. to her do it
2: and god can you imagine god, what, I, think, I,
3: please.
1: what i would yeah what i would give to watch her Ooh. do it live Ooh. um and cook's version also like she was a part of a production that was more uh, parodying high opera so she's yeah. doing like rounder vowels and grand tells like that's the mm-hmm. style that she was directed to do
2: yeah absolutely yeah and that works like on some level like I, I was just watching last night like, the 1988 version that you sent me um mm-hmm. the and I like and it's super fun sometimes when they go more operatic and when they play with like that affected way of speaking or singing yeah like, there certainly is something to that I can get into either
1: that kunaganda in the 88 ones, the Scottish opera production is actually a really solid operatic Kuna yes.
3: Um.
1: I'm with you. I tend to prefer the show when it is done in musical theater roots with classically trained singers rather than opera people. Yes, me too. Because I feel from what I have read every time I read like reviews of different opera productions doing it, mm-hmm. it's sort of like the actors and singers who get to do Candide in an opera house love it. Cause it's sort of like, Oh my God, we're like doing this silly little thing. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, um, I don't know, it's like if a Shakespeare company did noises off, are like, oh my God, we're kind of yeah. slumming it. Oh like, my God, how
2: look at us. <laughs> oh my God, we're being
1: so silly. How, look at how us slumming it, how fun. <laughs> well, and the critics tend to sort of be like, it's not really an opera. Um, and then also musical theater, people go like, oh wow, this is a really operatic version. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like it does have to kind of live somewhere in the middle. So you need someone like a Chenoweth who has musical theater yeah. instincts, but the classical training. Um, exactly, and yeah.
2: that's what, that's why it was so extraordinary. She did this, and we got to see her, and with Patty LaPone, of course. Like it's, mm-hmm. oh my God, they knock all their little duets out of the park.
1: They do. But here's the thing about Patty LaPone the old woman, and I also want to mm-hmm. go into mm-hmm. a third Kuniganda who I have mentioned on the pod once or twice in the past, but I like because we're talking about Candide specifically. Yes. I want to talk about her as well because she is not very well known. Uh, as a Kundaganda, but Patty Lapone as the old woman is one of those casting things where, like, on paper, you go, absolutely. And then you watch her and you're like, she's Patty Lapone. So she's still kind of singing the shit out of it, just mm-hmm. not in the way that this role should be sung. It's, it's very different. Yeah. It's truly a case of an actress going, I am not going to conform myself to how you're accustomed to this. I'm going to do what I do. Yeah. And either you like it or you don't. Yeah. And I like it. I do like it. But I'm there good. are different versions of the role. <laughs> Where it's like, you hear like, it's easy, it's ever so easy. And then you got Patty who's like, it's easy. And then you got got Andrea Martin who's like down four octaves.
2: Yeah, oh my God. I'll tell you, that's what I love about theater. If I don't hate it, like it's so much fun to see different interpretations. I I don't think that was what anyone imagined for the old woman when they wrote it, but you know, it didn't not work.
1: It didn't, it did not not work. Mm I was like, uh, Cook is my favorite glittering Be gay for sure. I love Chenowitz. I think she's a comedic genius and she does such wonderful things with it. If I have like any issues with Glitter glittering Be gay and we're talking like like hair, hair thin, thin. yeah Absolutely. like We get the hair hairs here.
2: because it's so good.
1: Yeah, we're splitt- like I'm talking about my top three favorite Glittering me gays and the top two are I'm splitting hairs because like they're just so fantastic. It's like Chenowith's uh <laughs> top register it's a little. Intense with the vibrato, which shows that she's got great vocal training and health. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's something about Cook, especially in Cook's heyday. We're talking oh, like Music goodness. Man. She loves me, Candide Cook, yeah. where it's just it's so fucking healthy and pure, and rich, and it never sounds like she's hitting her roof. You always think she's got like another couple steps above her. Yeah. And China with when she gets to her high time. register, it's all it's like a it's like a machine. You know, it's like a it's a it's a what's it going for? Uh, Fuck, I, it's like a gun, but um, what's the rapid fire guns?
2: Gatling gun gun, the old one, or machine gun. or Machine like, gun, so thank it it. you.
1: Literally, I had I had the word machine and I had the word gun <laughs> and I couldn't put the two together. What is you got wrong with
2: Gatling guns where they just turn that crank and it was like a machine gun? <laughs> I love history.
1: I love history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, channel gets to a certain point in our higher register becomes sort of a machine gun, which is not a problem per se, mm-hmm. but it is when I'm like, if you are asking me, which one i like i like if i'm on a deserted island and i have this one forever i think i would go crazy much later listening to cook <laughs> on repeating
2: And there's so much show after that. That's not near the end. No, it's
1: in the it's I would argue it's Maybe just before the middle of Act One. Like she yeah. we're still like in the solid first like third of the show when going Be Gay happens. Because sure. yeah. it's really
2: like kuniganda dies and this is like the first time we see her again. Yeah. And she did yeah main character except for Candy.
1: <laughs> she does get a little bit of time off stage before it, which is lovely. And I was reading an interview with Maureen Brennan, who did the 1970s revival, which wonderful segue. And remember, guys, I have a third kuniganda I want to talk about. Right. But Maureen Brennan played Kunaganda in the 70s revival. And she was like, actually, like glitter and be gay. If you have the notes and you're doing the show, it's actually pretty okay because it comes early on. So you're not like freaking out, and you get Life is Happiness, uh, Best of All Possible Worlds, and uh, Oh Happy We to warm up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She's like, you get that <laughs> to warm up. <laughs> yep. And then you get like 10, you get about 15 minutes off stage after Oh Happy Wee, where Candy like is wandering the earth. Paris waltz happens and then you come on do glitter and be gay and you're like, and great, I'm warmed up, I had a minute to rest, I'm good. Um and like and Maureen Close Brennan is not rest
3: of the show. Yeah, then
1: it's the rest of the show. But like Maureen Brennan is also not like the world's best vocal Kundagonda if you ever listened to that recording. But that's also because Hal Prince's vision was not about the vocals. Yeah. So what a wonderful way to segue back into the history of Candide. Mm. And then I'll need you to remind me to tell our listeners about my third favorite, Good or Me Gay. I will
2: never forget. I'm dying to know. Well, it's not (laughs) June
1: Anderson. I'll tell you that. Uh, (laughs) So Candide is like down in the Broadway lore of, you know, oh my God, that flop that, you know, has this great cast album, whatever happened to it. It gets done in London in the 50s with a slightly revised book. It bombs even harder there. And then like a couple of productions start popping up here and there in the 60s. But with each following production, the book gets tweaked more and more to the point where Lillian Hellman finally said, take my name off this. You're not doing my libretto anymore.
3: Yeah,
1: Because her libretto was meant to be a, like a really sharp satire on McCarthyism. And a lot of people mm-hmm. said it didn't jive with the score because it was so dark. Um, and I get that. Then what happened was uh, the Chelsea Theater Center m- located in Brooklyn really wanted to do Candide. And they were like, Hal Prince, you are god right now you've done (laughs) night music you've done follies cabaret will you direct this for us like will you slum it come to brooklyn and do this you know one month long run of a show he's like i don't really like the show very much i saw it on broadway i was bored and they go you can do whatever you want with it and he goes i can do whatever i want with it. (laughs) and so he calls up leonard bernstein he's like lenny can i do whatever i want with this and leonard bernstein's like sure go ahead because also again while this is happening you know leonard bernstein's reputation with the score is secure yeah everyone the world everyone <laughs> in the world knows the overture it's played everywhere dick Cavett uses the glitter and be gay section of the overture as his theme song for the dick Cavett show like and by this point also Leonard bernstein has stopped uh composing he also west side story comes out after candide and like the world is like leonard bernstein genius he's like i've got nothing at stake
3: yeah
1: absolutely you, <laughs> He's like do what you want i will not write anything new for you but here's literally everything i wrote for the show have at Hal <laughs> prince reaches out to lillian hellman and she's like don't use a single word i wrote but you have my permission to write a totally new book. And he's like, great, love it. He's like, like, I hated your book anyway.
2: Yeah, even better.
1: (laughs) Never liked you. And he's like, Hugh Wheeler, you who wrote one of the best librettos of all Mm -hmm. time for a little night music, will you write a new libretto for Candide? And he's like, I don't know. I read this book in school. He's like, read the book again. Tell me what you think. Hugh Wheeler reads the book. He's like, oh, here's a brand new libretto for you in a week. (laughs) Uh, uh. And then then, uh, Prince calls up Sondheim. He's like, hey. (laughs) <laughs> got a minute do you want to write some new lyrics for the show <laughs> and and sometimes like no I could never touch Wilbur's original he's like no no no. it's like I'm not asking you to asking you to rewrite glitter and be gay I'm asking you I need some new songs he's like so here are a bunch of songs that weren't in the show before
3: uh
1: you can rewrite any of them I need he's like these are three story points I need new lyrics for one is introducing the new character uh introducing our characters at the beginning. So Sondheim writes, you know, brand new lyrics uh, that is formerly the Venice Gavotte in Act 2, mm-hmm. which is a whole different storyline in the show originally that was never in the book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Elaine Hellman's like, what if Kuniganda never got ugly, like she's supposed to in the book, and never became like a scullery maid washing clothes on the river, but she became like kind of a whore bandit with the old yeah. woman, and they try to b- rob Candide at like a ball because who doesn't love a ball?
2: Yeah, <laughs> bandit is exactly the job description. I feel that Gunaganda has at that time.
1: Yeah, she becomes a whore bandit yeah, because she, like, a, she, you know. she's like she, she and the old woman. They have to, they have to start. You know, it's a whole like guys. When you ask like what's bandit. happening in the plot at this point, so much has happened. A lot of things have happened. We've
2: gone everywhere. We've done and seen everything.
1: Yeah, and the like, <laughs> a, and the bottom line, and it's sort of the point of the story is like none of it truly matters because they all go through highs and lows. At one point, they're like, they all have money. At one point, at one point, none of them have money. Some have money, some don't. All you have to know is like, we get to a point at the end of the show where Candide has a lot of money. He's in Venice. Kunaganda and the old woman have no money. They just have like Cunaganda's looks and their clout. And it all comes to this big Venice cavat where they're all in masks at a masked ball. No one I knows who know. anyone is. Yeah, Kuniganda and the old lady are doing the Tenardier like, come this way. Here's a child that ain't eaten today. But, you know, with Venice Cavat's music. Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, exactly. And
1: that. I love Le but the Venice Cavat is better lyrics. And Agreed. basically the Candide realizes it's Kuniganda who's trying to rip him off. Kuniganda realizes she's trying to rip off Candide and everybody's like, what the hell? Oh. And then he goes, whatever, make our garden grow. So... <laughs>
2: first he doesn't speak for like five days and then he's like i thought about it and let's still get married but with this life philosophy yeah
1: and then in maximilian still isn't happy about it he's like maximilian go look at yourself in the mirror dude your opinion doesn't matter anymore so
2: (laughs) Candide has already killed maximilian once for disapproving of this marriage
1: maximilian has has died twice once by the hand of candide um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the (laughs) at one point you would hope like I want what you know, Maximilian Kuniganda, Kuniganda or Pangloss is like, I am God? I, yeah, just, I, I keep not dying.
2: <laughs> it's just they're so cavalier about it. It's my favorite joke and they can do it as many times as they want.
1: Where do you think South Park got the oh my God, they killed Kenny joke from? Trey Parker's a musical theater nerd. He totally has seen Candide.
2: Here we fucking go. And it's Here we great, go. But, it's a great joke. It lasts forever.
1: <laughs> it does last forever. But so the point is this, the melody, the two melodies on Venice Cavade, uh were repurposed in the 1970 revival that Hal Prince did in Brooklyn. And they became Life is Happiness Indeed and Life is Happiness Unending, which, and they have some really, really funny lyrics. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Sondheim wrote new lyrics for, I think he wrote new lyrics for Best of All Possible Worlds. He's not credited for it, which makes me wonder if Richard Wilbur rewrote the lyrics, but they are new lyrics.
2: Yeah, I guess I don't know who did, but they are great. So I
1: <laughs> I prefer them to the old one.
2: Yeah, yeah, me too, for sure, for sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They fit um, so well, and they're so clever. Like I, yeah, there.
1: well, and so Hugh Wheeler's book is much closer to the original novella than Hellman's is. Yeah. He obviously makes some adjustments here and there, but the overall structure, and especially the first half, is very much. Uh, How the story goes. And he adds Voltaire to the proceedings and makes Voltaire a narrator and gives and adds a whole lot more humor. Hal Prince is like, I want this to be a comedy. I want this to be light. I want this to be tight. So no intermission. It's an hour and 40 minutes. Keep it moving. Because he rereads the book, he's like, "This is kind of funny," and then he reaches out to a Voltaire scholar, who's like, "Oh, Voltaire never meant for this to be serious. This, this is supposed to always be funny." And when you read it, it is because of all the way that it works. It's very sort of like Wes Andersony when he has a narrator talking about stuff, yeah. where it's like it's that detachment, that distance. Mm -hmm. And that dry tone where he's like, and then Kuniganda was raped repeatedly. And then Candide went off and found himself in a sack. And then Maximilian was stabbed and came back to life and then was stabbed again. And everybody was poor. And now Kuniganda has herpes and Paquette Mm -hmm. is giving syphilis to Pangloss and that is life. And it's, it's that kind of tone.
2: It's great because I mean, normally, you know, gun to my head, you have to force me to accept the narrator in a a musical theater, anything. Um, This works so well and we need it I feel desperately to sort of traverse the enormous world that we're traversing it makes it easy and it has such tone and perspective Mm -hmm. that makes it palatable if you were ever like yeah I don't want them to show me the 50 rapes when we just gloss over it that's what makes it work and keeps it absurd and keeps it like your eye on the point which is "Ah, ha. ha, ha. yeah this world is so great isn't it not we hate optimism
1: yeah (laughs) optimism be trying yeah (laughs) but yeah, the, I would argue the original Prince 70s version is the best use of the narrator and as we discuss other versions of it
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> people start So oh god okay the bottom line is how Prince does this version in Brooklyn it's an environmental staging it's happening all around and the idea is more that it's young it's fresh it's light it's very 70s he's like I want the music to sound fine I don't care if it sounds amazing though it just all has to be in service of story and of the energy which is why it was so successful and everybody loved it like he fixed candide they move it to broadway runs for two years loses money because of the musicians union Um, (laughs) do you not know the story
2: no i did not know that story tell me the story of that
1: (laughs) you're like what a turn
2: i was like what truly (laughs) the play is unfolding right before me
1: (laughs) so as i said you know, done an environmental staging and they were looking for a place to move it to because you know, they're like, this is, it's sold out. They extend it, sold out. And they first were trying to find unconventional spaces like ballrooms. They eventually settled on the Broadway theater. Because like, if we're going to do this, we have to rip out the seats. We have to, we're, we, it can't be super huge. It's still got to be somewhat intimate. We need a theater big enough where if we rip out the seats in the orchestra, we can essentially do what we did in Chelsea, uh, not Chelsea, in Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. on the ground floor and have enough space. So that's what they do at the the Broadway theater. Um, And they'd already had ripped out the seats beforehand for a show called Dude. So I don't, I think the seats were back in at that point, but they were able to take them out pretty easily. And they expanded it from 150 seats to 900 seats. They like, they went, okay. This is, these are enough seats where if we price it correctly, we can pay everybody. We can pay the 15 musicians we got and we can break even at a decent rate and we could probably make a profit after like a year, maybe a year and a half. And they move into the Broadway and there used to be a clause in Broadway theaters. I don't think they have it anymore where it didn't matter what show you were doing, how big the orchestra was, you had to have a minimum number of musicians in your theater. And the larger the theater, the higher the minimum. And so I believe the Broadway had like a 24, 25 musician minimum. Cause it was at that time, the largest Broadway theater. Sure. And Prince was like, we're only using 15 musicians. I, why are, I, I'm not going to expand it to 25. And they went, well, then you're just gonna have to pay 10 extra musicians. It was like eight or 10, want something like that kind of number, which you would think shouldn't be enough to totally break the bank. But he's like, it made the difference of us, Making minimal profit on some weeks, breaking even other weeks, and then not breaking even other weeks. He's like, and without those salaries, we could have had a full year of either nothing but profit or breaking even.
3: Oof!
1: I yeah, you telling
2: me ten lucky musicians got a free paycheck for doing nothing.
1: <laughs> he literally he he How he, you he, he have been more. You. <laughs> I, having met Hal Prince, I will tell you his greatest irksome uh his like biggest pet peeve about broadway was unions uh and not because he like he obviously believed in you know rights of the performers and the artists and whatnot protection whatnot but he's like it's now it's become all about money to the point where when he did candida second time on broadway he couldn't get ensemble members to like do certain things as like a simple thing is like moving a stool from one side to the other because they'd be like that's a stagehands job and if you want me to do that you're gonna have to pay me more and he's like are you fucking kidding me it's a Mm -hmm. stool just move the damn stool
2: Mm -hmm. Um, what if your character really was
1: (laughs) (laughs)
3: hell
1: what am i supposed to do about this now um but yeah i mean it ran for about a year and a half i don't think they even toured which would have helped as well because of the environmental staging they couldn't Uh, but what, but it does redeem Candide's reputation and it actually wins some damn Tonys this time. They win five, which is the most of any musical this season. It's also, I think the only revival to win a best book Tony award.
3: Yeah.
2: That, yeah. I can't think of another one off the top of my
1: head. Well, I, there, I know Cinderella and flower drum song both got nominated, Mm -hmm. but it's, I mean, it's rare for a musical revival that has a new book to get nominated. That's rare. Yeah. And Candide's the only one to actually win. Um, And of course, at the time, Lillian Hellman's like, yeah, this is always what I wanted the show to be. And Bernstein's like, this is always what I wanted the show to be. And then (laughs) after the show, after that version becomes like the version, then Lillian Hellman starts shit talking to everyone. She's like, everyone knows Hugh Wheeler's a hack. I'm like, I don't know. He fixed Candide.
2: Uh, (laughs) Spicy.
1: (laughs) Whoop. Hey, all but then here's the narrative. We start going with Prince and with Candide in general. After that version happens, never everyone's like, okay, now we know Candide can work in a way. Mm-hmm. And we have new versions of certain songs. We now have a new best of all possible worlds. We have a new opening. Then Bernstein comes back. He's like, I think I wanna, you cut some of my music, Hal. I think I wanna put some of my music back in there. And <laughs> Hal Prince is like, you know what? You're right. Let's make this a two act yet again. And I'll stage this for the New York city opera. And then we can start licensing this version to opera houses around the world. But then they start doing that and they go with, they still go with his whole, like, life's a circus aesthetic. They start doing that. And then opera houses around the world are like, but what if we added more music? <laughs> and then other opera houses are like, what if we added more narration?
3: And. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> no. And <Stop> then. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the National Theater production in 1999, which is literally like, what if we literally just put the entire book on stage? It's directed by John Caird, who co directed Lamez with Trevor Nunn and Nicholas Nickleby with Trevor Nunn. And he's like, okay, Nicholas Nickleby, we put the entire book on stage. Lamez, we had everyone doubling as all the roles and we had it singing all the time. And it was really big and really like just a three and a half hour epic. It's like, what if I did the three and a half hour length of *Lame Miz with everyone doubling his roles? And we did the Nicholas Nickleby thing where we just did the whole book on stage. <laughs> and London kind of liked it. It ran for a year at the national and won best revival Tony's. And it actually is one of my favorite recordings of the show. It is probably the entire catalog of music that Bernstein's ever written for this show. <laughs> including a whole thing that is, shouldn't be there, which is called Money, Money. It's a really pretty song or 45 seconds long. It's a really pretty melody. Yeah. But it happens in a moment where it's like, and then Candida got some more money.
2: Money, 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 yeah, money, that money, money. It is, it's gorgeous. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that for a minute. All right. Oh, yeah, and
1: like, there's a whole thing when the first time we find out that Pangloss is still alive, but he has syphilis due to Paquette. And he's like, Syphilis is great. It's for the best of all possible worlds. And mm-hmm. he
3: sure he, does say that.
1: He has a song called Dear Boy, which is, I think it's always been in the show. Or if not, um, it was cut and then brought back in for the Hal Prince 70s version. But it's relatively short normally. It's like maybe 90 seconds. Yeah. The National Theater version is like, no, 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 three and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Like multiple verses of him saying everything's for the best. There is a great lyric in it where he says, "If there, uh, if it weren't for the, uh, God damn it, I wish. I, why can't I find it? Oh, if it wasn't for the, I think it's called the Spirochete, which is a bacteria that grows both in chocolate and is also uh, the number is, is like the primary bacteria in syphilis, which is what Pangloss has because he's been sleeping with Paquette.
2: Yeah, like you do.
1: Like you do. And he loses <laughs> his nose in one of his ears to it. Yeah, he sure he says, say if it weren't <laughs> for the little spirochete, we'd have no chocolate to eat.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He sure does say that. Yeah. That is a great lyric. I mean, you can see I, I totally get the appeal of expanding, including more of that delicious music. I'm sure it's like irresistible temptation. Do you need to? Like, um, no, but like, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm, it's the kind of show where like when i'm there i'm there like last night i did not skip the money song i was kind of like oh you know like show me why why did you want to put this back in
1: no and show the- me was the other musical of 1957 <laughs> that was my fair lady you're oh, your, your brain oh is oh no her. my hair <laughs> no you're absolutely right like it's <sighs> The, it's the the issue with Candide. There are many issues, but like because the music is so fantastic, and we're going to talk about this in the next episode with our next show. But it works better with Candide. The music is so fantastic. It's less of an issue of the music not fitting, and more just sort of having to be very ruthless of what you keep and what you don't. Yeah because it all fits the story it's and like Bernstein's music is really what kind of keeps things going but you have to remind yourself this show doesn't have a plot plot it's a sequence of events that just keep on mm-hmm. happening
3: mm-hmm.
1: it's how many times can we make Condide suffer and mm-hmm. at some point you have to be like the night's gotta end at- yeah. eventually
2: at some point like you know the shine will wear off a little bit even if it's just because you've been sitting up for too long like and oh. you'd like to stretch your legs it's not a serialized a tv show like yeah. it's, it's an evening
1: <laughs> honestly you could cut like half of candy's adventures and half of Kuniganda's adventures and make it a more complete evening and if you want to say to me to my face well in the novella i will say to you in les Maz, fontine loses both her teeth it ain't in the stage show
2: yeah that's right because books are not musicals and if you would like the book version read the book it's still out there I'm sure it's a great time. This is just not that. Ebony stops
1: Ebony stops a bullet with her hand in the book Excuse in the me, shawl. God. It happens the fuck off stage.
2: Excuse me.
1: <laughs> oh, she puts she fully puts her hand over the barrel of a gun that's about to shoot Marius and it shoots right through her hand. And that's what kills her.
2: Um, that's hot. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, but can I can't you believe just believe they didn't put that on stage, actually? That is now.
1: <laughs> the the new and improved Le Miles is Leia Solanka in that trench cop going up to the bar hall and she's going
2: stop in the name of <laughs> <laughs> a little bit I would love to watch that a little bit take all my money and where do I go and-
1: <laughs> <laughs> but then we have then just to go even further we then include speaking of Bernstein one hand one heart after because she loses oh, her hand from- <laughs> this is the review <laughs> <laughs> just because <becomes> review <laughs> one <I'm there>. hand <laughs> one. <laughs>
2: Song, Matt,
0: you j- ah,
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> all coming together. You see how uh, Candide inspires
0: such creativity. Dearest, how can this be so? You were dead, you know. You were shot and bayoneted too. That is very true. Ah, oh, but love will find a way. Then what did you do? Oh, we'll go into that another day. Now let's talk of you.
1: You're looking... Speaking of the National Theater, this brings me back to my other favorite glitter and be gay, which is the kuna of the National Theater recording, Miss Alex Kelly. Hey-o. Now, Alex Kelly does not have the operatic luster in her voice of Cook and Chenoweth. It is much more of a, I'm a musical theater soprano who has the notes, but it's not mm-hmm. like I... Maybe she was classically trained. I don't know. But It doesn't sound that way. It sounds more like a. I just have the notes, and it sounds healthy enough Mm because it's more straight tone. It's a little pingier. It's a very nice sound to me. Mm -hmm. What makes her my third favorite glitter to me, Gay, and I say this in terms of like my three in the echelon, not like my one, two, three. Of course, but but like up there is that listening to her, whereas like with Chenoweth, I only really I can. If I were to hear it alone, I would hear the France and I'd be like, that's funny. Yeah. Most everything else is the visual, right? It's like what she does yeah. visually with it.
2: It's very, You're right. It's very physically playful. Yeah.
1: Which is, you know, that's what you do. The famous story with her wicked is like Joe Mantello. They get to popular and he's like, Cheno, Dina, go into that room for three hours while I work on this giant crowd scene. Think, <laughs> do every, come up with anything that goes in your brain and come back to me with all of your ideas. And then she came back with all of her ideas. and He's like, great. Cut, keep, cut, keep. Amazing. Yeah. Cause she's a physical genius. <laughs> yeah. Alex Kelly's Kuniganda, especially with Glitter and Be Gay, you listen to it. It's the funniest one that you could listen to. Mm. She Mm. really, and she's not being a clown about it. Like she definitely plays into the fact that like Kuniganda is miserable, but she understands that Kuniganda Kuniganda is a miserable Kim Kardashian.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's literally the Kim going, my earrings are lost (laughs) in the ocean it's very Kim, your sister's going to jail. You please have to take pictures of yourself. And this is someone who's never actually watched an episode of keeping up with the Kardashians in his life. I've seen all the promos. (laughs) though.
2: I feel like that's enough to get a flavor. (laughs) Exactly.
1: This is so like, I just think of this. She, she's the Kim Kardashian of her time. Mm -hmm. And so Alex Kelly just, she's, she's a little whiny. She's a little um, prim and so she has like certain line readings I just love where she goes, um she, during the spoken section of Glitter and Be Gay, the pearls and lavaliers. Uh, she goes, she goes, she goes, bracelets,
2: lavaliers. <laughs> uh, ruby rings. Kendra. Yeah, and she, um, <laughs> she goes, uh, uh can it's
1: they compensate
3: for
1: goes, yeah. could they compensate for my fallen state? Purchased as they were at such an awful cost. <laughs> right? Funny. She's yeah, fucking funny. Yeah. <laughs>
3: um,
2: and then it. she goes,
1: and if you read the script, which I, I know I sent you the libretto for it, but it's a long libretto. So I did not expect you to read it all. I
2: read sections of it is what right. I did. If you
1: re- and what also makes it long is that John Kerr, who wrote the new libretto for this based mm-hmm. off of Hugh Wheeler's original, is he writes in every bit of stage direction that he did. Mm. So he's like, then Kuniganda turns left. She makes a face on this word. On this yeah. word, Candy needs to think this way. I'm like, that's what you did. Yeah. That's yeah. what you did. Let your mm-hmm. word speak for yourself. Anyway, but he on Glitter and Be Gay, he made it more of sort of like a mad scene, which is mm. it is. You know, she's going a little insane.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: But he really goes full uh, whole hog on it. Like by the end of it, she's like painting lipstick all over her face because she's like, I'm pretty. I'm pretty. You want me to be pretty? I'm pretty for you, baby. But on the <laughs> word so... diamond, when she goes, could the purest diamond purify my name? And Alex Kelly goes like, could the purest diamond purify my name. And in, this, <laughs> in the stage direction, John Carrot is like, on the word diamond, she finally starts to smile again. And it's what we were talking about, where she's like, oh my God, I've been raped repeatedly, but my dresses are so cute.
2: Oh my God. But you see this diamond though? Like, wow. Like, my
1: wig is 10 times more expensive than your house. So, I mean, if she I- has
2: that line later in some version where she They lose all the money immediately, like they mm. constantly do. And she's like, Oh no, where will we find another Jew and cardinal to get more? I know. <laughs> like that's her first thought it's like, it, She loses oh, all of her it. jewels in,
1: in the ocean. She's like, Where am I going to find another Jew who'll <laughs> give me all these diamonds?
2: In exchange for sex, yeah. which I will do again to get more diamonds.
1: I knew her my diamonds. And yeah, when she tells Candide about all of it after oh- of uh, You Were Dead, you know, she's just like, very laissez-faire about like, yeah, you know they rape me repeatedly every day for the last couple of months. And here's the
2: schedule, Candide. It was like him, him, yeah. him, him, yeah. him, and then like, oh, yeah, tomorrow day. it's him.
1: Yeah, <laughs> tomorrow it's him. Today it's him. um like, at that point, she's like, I mean, I'm a little dead inside, but also like, yep. look at my palace. Guys, it's, yeah, it's hot, right? Yeah. <laughs> Guys, hashtag booked and blast.
2: Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's truly the vibe. Like, <laughs> I. Candide pulls it off it's yeah. so charming
1: <laughs> it's it's god it's I mean that's sort of why the show needs that humor to it it's it, yes. just, a lot of versions sort of are weighted down by its self-importance and no that's a
2: mistake I yeah think that's a well you do need effort. to have a little
1: bit you do need to have a little yeah. bit of the humor human interaction about it especially there, are, because Candida, there are
2: moments that drop in for sure yeah.
1: Candide is mm-hmm. very much a pure character and I was reading reviews when the Chenoweth version was being performed at the Philharmonic, yeah. and like all the reviews basically were like, this cast is really dynamite. And they're like, and they all go, it's such a shame Lonnie Price directed it. <laughs>
0: and yet, of course, I rather like to revel. Uh-huh. I have no strong objection to champagne. Uh-huh. My water is expensive as the devil. Uh-huh. Perhaps it is in no to complain.
1: As we said, like, the humor is very important to Candide. You need to, you cannot be weighed down by the self-importance of the fact that it's an opera. But when the music is telling you mm-hmm. that it's earnest, let it be earnest. Because you, yeah. yeah. It's speaking
2: like that accidental thing you said about Voltaire, which is immense, right? A comedy. And there is this thing that it came out of it. Truth, real feeling, things that people resonate with. And both things should exist in the piece.
1: Candide in a way is sort of the... Inverse of Les Mis in the sense that Les Mis is very long and very sad, and you yes. need the Tenarders sometimes just to, desperately, <laughs> just desperately. To and at, and when the show came out, a lot of people had a lot of issues that the Tenarders were used as comedic relief. Like they're truly monsters in the book, and I'm like they're pretty much monsters on stage. Oh yeah, but you need something. You need yeah. something because the show is three and a half hours long. Every thirty minutes, we just need a little aha.
2: And like um, in the context of that world, it is funny to do like dog eat dog in the sewers where they're stealing teeth or whatever. Like. That yeah, becomes funny in this context. I'll take what I can get in this world.
1: Absolutely. Candide is the inverse of that, where Candide yes. is very light and very funny, sort of making humor of tragic situations constantly. Mm-hmm. And in order for a chance to breathe, we need a moment to remind ourselves that there is a person here at stake.
3: Yeah.
1: And there's something to connect to. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, so I, I feel
2: that. that there is. Like, I, yeah. it, it's in Candide himself. Like, he's such a cinnamon roll and like, We don't, I don't want to watch this keep, it's kind of funny, but I'm not deriving like just pure, unadulterated, cruel pleasure out of it. Like, you know, when he sees Kuniganda, every time they meet again, after they're separated for some insane reason, there's this, oh my God, they're doing it. Oh my God, they're doing it. Which I guess Mm -hmm. is why then they do the mask reveal in that one version. And you're like, oh my God, it's horrible. But um, it still didn't work for me because masks, it's clearly them. Like, I don't know, (laughs) the mask trope, I'm always like, all right.
1: Balls are really hard to do on stage. Balls. Balls. (laughs)
2: Balls,
1: balls, Nice. But it's uh, doing like a a ball on stage is really hard. Any any sequence in a theatrical show where it's uh, like a dance scene. It's like if you were to do a musical version of Pride and Prejudice, as you know. um, No,
2: what? Who's doing that? Me. Who would ever do that? But
1: it's because (laughs) when we see it on film, you get different camera angles, whereas it's very stationary on stage. Mm -hmm. And so it's that's the situation where you would need a turntable because you need different perspectives. You need it just always needs to keep moving. Yeah, Um,
2: or really, really radically adapted, like I did. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. They'll but kill
1: you. <laughs> it's, why the, it's why Jerome Robbins' and Paul Gennaro's Dance at the Gym and West Side story is so iconic is because they found a way into that by keeping the yeah. action moving, making sure that we always knew where to look. So even though the set is stationary, it never feels static. Right.
2: Absolutely.
1: And the Venice Gavotte, so much is happening on stage. It's part of the inclination is that we're supposed to be like lost in the shuffle of it all. But if everything is just sort of right there in front of us in wide shot,
2: mm-hmm. we don't,
1: it, it just feels, yeah. yeah
2: we can see we have eyes. It's like the Cinderella thing of like, yeah, he can't see who fits the shoe, but like, did not he look at her face? Like I yeah. can see her face. He it's has face same.
1: blindness, okay? It's a he real has, thing. He has to. How dare you be so obtuse and <laughs> rude about people with this affliction?
2: The plot. I feel like they should have gone into that. I'm here for it. It's because
1: implied, it's called nuance. <laughs> not everything has not everything has to be projected.
2: I missed it. The subtext was too subtle for me. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> Back to <laughs> grad school, I go.
1: <laughs> you know what wasn't too subtle and just got Tony nominated? <laughs> Paradise Square. Um so when we
2: started, Matt, I will fucking pop off. I will pop off on that. I yeah. No yeah,
1: kidding. no, I know. So <laughs> someone asked me my thought on it. And I said, imagine reading racism for dummies while make them hear you blares in your ears. And so you think you can dance is on mute in the background. <laughs> that is that show in a nutshell. That
2: is the most accurate description of it I've ever heard. I have mm-hmm. not recovered from seeing it. I lost like all hope for a time. <laughs>
1: I The only thing that gives me hope is watching it lose every single category it's nominated in on that night in June.
2: Yeah, but, but that would help a little bit.
1: <laughs> I do not wish ill on the performers on stage. No. They're doing their darndest. Of course, of but course. It, I, I, agree. I think that show is absolute garbage. And I don't like seeing garbage or mediocrity rewarded, especially when we were having this reckoning about it.
2: Yes. I, you're truly just hearing you talk about it is the healing my soul a little bit because that it was out there. And like reading the program notes on it when they were so smug about how great they thought it was, I was like ready to, I have never seen a more out of touch piece of theater. I feel perhaps in my adult life.
1: It's just so, it's, it's the self-importance of ragtime with the can-do spirit of Newsy. <laughs> and that is a terrible combination.
2: Yeah. Oh God. And I didn't even like the writing, to be honest. Like I...
1: I'm sorry, the writing? <laughs> there were people who wrote that show?
2: I hope not. Not like I really hope not. I've tried to repress it.
1: You know what I just realized, by the way? My shirt matches my wall. <laughs> oh
2: my god, so cute. I love I know. It. <laughs> uh,
1: I didn't put any thought into this, much like the writers of much like the writers <laughs> of Ha 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 ha
2: back to a good show Uh, back
1: to back to a good score i'm not
2: normally in favor of revivals over just the new work but in this case god why didn't they just do candy why didn't they just do that again
1: because no one remembers Mm -hmm. what makes it work anymore the well something i'd actually really appreciate about the scottish opera version which actually won the olivier for best musical uh back in 1988 or 89 is while it is It it can look a bit like a self important opera production, and sometimes it is. It is you know obviously it's mostly cast with opera singers. For sure, they do have a sense of humor about it, which I really appreciate. They had a great (laughs) so one of the major things that sort of throws everything into turmoil before even the war happens that like really starts. Oh happy we is Paquette, who is you know she's a serving girl like a scullery maid or whatever at the at the palace, but she is allowed to study with everyone else, which I really appreciate.
2: They say in the narration, she's very happy. She's the second happiest person in all of Westphalia.
1: Yeah, after Candide. After which, Candide. I, And I, I think part of the whole happiness uh, ranking is also just like the obliviousness of their situations. Like Paquette, yeah. I think Paquette does enjoy sex. I yeah, think she enjoys sure. being, being wanted. And then, yeah, and then, you know, I'm sure once life gets rougher and she sees other situations, she goes, oh, mm-hmm. I don't love what I went through. Yeah. But- I mean, there is a great line in the Hugh Wheeler one when we first see her t- uh, tying the Baroness into her uh, <laughs> corset. And the Baron says, I, would, I need Paquette uh, to help oil my horses. And she's like, okay. And he says to Paquette, he says, I'll meet you in the stables, bring the lubricant. <laughs> <laughs> and that's funny. The other thing though, the one that's in the Scottish opera production that I don't think I ever have heard in any other script is, so after Best of All Possible Worlds, Kuniganda walks in on Pangloss and Paquette, essentially having sex. Mm -hmm. Uh, Essentially, they're having sex. And Mm -hmm. in the book, she sees it in the bushes and she realizes what's going on and she wants to practice it with candide. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then every version of the script that includes it has altered exactly what's going on. Some make it that Kuniganda has no idea what's happening. Some do. The Scottish opera version... They put Paquette and Pangloss off stage. Usually it's happening on stage because we are dirty old men who love to see it. <laughs> but they have it happen off stage and Kuniganda sees it and Candide comes up behind her. It's like, Candide, look, Pangloss is having a lesson uh, on physics and, and the body dynamics, whatever it is, with Paquette um, and uh, turning it uh, turning it into cause. And they're British, so she's saying it into, saying into cause, but it sounds like intercourse. So she's like into intercourse. And Candy goes intercourse, and then there's a beat. She goes into cause and effect, and I'm like, "Well, fucking done, Scottish opera."
2: Yeah, I loved that. I thought that was super funny.
1: I love a good play on words.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it really like it sounded like they they knocked the delivery out of the park yeah. in that moment.
1: What is it you can't face? Yeah.
2: <laughs> what is it I can't face? Indeed, Matt. I don't know. So hard. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Soon there'll be little ones beside us We'll have a sweet Westphalian home Somehow we'll grow as rich as Midas We'll live in Paris when we're not in Rome Smiling babies Marble halls Sunday picnics Costume balls, my robes of silk and certain machines.
1: Oh, but do you know that Oh Happy We was originally supposed to be in West Side Story?
2: What? No. Uh
1: (laughs) Sorry, that's my brain has to
2: adjust to this music. Well, so one of
1: the things about Candy that's interesting in West Side Story is because they were written pretty close together. Mm -hmm. A lot of the music got swapped.
2: So funny. So the
1: the, uh, G-Officer Krupke was supposed to be in Candide it, the melody for that song was where what's the use is now
3: oh my god
2: and
1: then it was like this doesn't really fit so he took the melody and then was like "Sometime, write a song here for the for the Jets <laughs> and it became Officer Krupke one hand one heart was gonna be I believe where Candide and Kuniganda now sing oh happy Week.
2: wow yeah that makes some sense but gosh yeah what a life what a life yeah what a brain to just be able to distribute these melodies to two masterpieces
1: i know but also like this also shows you that while bernstein was an absolute genius he didn't always get it right on the first time because when i tell you that oh happy we or at least the melody for oh happy we was supposed to be where tonight is now in the balcony scene (laughs) rut row (laughs) rut row you're like i can't imagine it and then on top of that he swaps out he goes oh big mistake huge and so he takes um the one hand one heart song from candide and he's like we're gonna put it in west side story that'll be in the in the balcony scene and that was where it was for a while until oscar hammerstein came in and he was like no (laughs) he's like these two have just met they're getting in love and they're fucking horny. Give them a melody that has some hormones to it. And yeah. Bernstein's like, oh, I never thought of it that way. I guess when you are 17 and you meet someone you want to fuck, you like have some energy about it.
2: Oh, yes. <laughs> Precious memories. Um, thank God these geniuses had so many genius friends. <laughs> to crack the code with them over time <laughs>
1: what a time to be a, a creative on broadway in the 50s when like right. everyone was so good at what they did uh, and not everyone bad at a thousand so like you it was great to have a friend come in who also was good at what they did and be like 80 percent of this is there here's the 20 percent. it's like great uh, instant classic
2: love we love thank god because look look where we are now look what we get to enjoy
1: yeah we have the brilliance of past, uh, paradise square <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's my glitter and be gay moment <laughs> yeah.
1: ha! we have um Selena kennedy coming on and going i'm pregnant come again and see us when you can. oh but i'm
0: bad oh but i'm bad Playing such a very dirty trick on such a fine land, I'm a low cat, I'm a low cat, every time I do this sort of thing, it makes me so sad, ever so sad, oh but I'm bad, ever so bad. It's cool,
1: you know what's also too much? Mm. More to candide. There's too much music. Too many notes.
3: <laughs> too many notes,
1: size, Good, good
2: segue back to yeah. home to sweet you know dear candide.
1: Okay. You wanna know what might be actually my favorite lyric in the show though? Mm, do tell. It is Bon Voyage. Yes.
2: Okay, it's amazing. I'm obsessed with that. I love that number. It's, it's and also he goes on forever. I love that we sit with a character. It's just this guy who just sells Candide like a shoddy boat. He takes mm-hmm. his fancy golden sheep, and he just sings his fucking song where he's like, ha, 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 "I scammed him. Should I feel bad? I kind of don't. I only live for greed." It goes on and on. I love it.
1: I know it's a three-minute song for a character <laughs> we never see again. And for, okay, first of all. She's a bop. It's a boppy, yeah. boppy song. Oh, absolutely. Bobby song. Lyrics are great. Mm. Such good lyrics. My, um, my, uh, what is it? Uh, my needs are as dry as an apple core and my only desire is greed.
2: Is, yes. My only desire is greed. What a lovely thing for a character to explicitly say oh, no, 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 with words. No,
1: my, no, sorry. no, it's my, my desire is as dry as an apple core and my only emotion is greed. My That's only,
2: only emotion. I, I, I just love when characters like stamp themselves like that, like in a tone like this.
1: Mm-hmm. It in works. a way, in a way of it's, and because Candide is a very specific style of musical,
2: yes, it is.
1: Um, the the characters can be self aware in a way that they wouldn't be in life mm-hmm. because it is very presentational. Yes, uh, in the original yeah. libretto, in the original Helman libretto, I believe they took that random ass character and combined it with the governor of Buenos Aires, who, yeah. who uh, desires to marry kunaganda although in the revised version it's maximilian and drag
3: mm-hmm.
1: yeah which i think that was an invention for the revival i don't know if they if that's in the novel or novella uh, novella or not
2: yeah i don't know if that's in the novella
1: either um the 70s really liked to play around with uh Gender, not in a way that's super progressive, but at least they were doing it. <laughs> like,
2: yeah, it's somewhere in the middle. Like, you don't watch it and you're like, Oh no, and you don't watch it and you're not like, Oh yeah, like wow. Like Maximilian
1: is never uncomfortable in drag, he's doing no. it solely to survive. Yeah. And then the irony is that because he's such a handsome man, he mm-hmm. puts on dragon, like he basically looks like his sister. So, of course, everyone's like, Who are you? How do I get to be with you? Mm-hmm. And part of him loves the attention, part of him is also like, if I were I in order to survive, I have to agree to the governor who wants to have sex with me, but in order to, but he's going to find out that I've got junk he doesn't want. Mm -hmm. So in order to prolong this, I'm going to get him to marry me. And the governor's like, well, I'm going to hate it, but you're hot, so sure.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He sure does explicitly say that, yes. Yes.
1: And the same thing is true with Kuniganda. and so Bone Voyage originally is sung by that character,
3: mm-hmm.
1: which makes sense. Cause like, you know what? Cause his original yeah. desire is to get Candide out of the way. And all Candide has all this money, but no, in the novel, it's just a dude who Candide comes back from El Dorado with so much gold and so many jewels. And, and the, such
2: conspicuous sheep. You know, they really are, they grab attention.
1: Yeah. They're oh, pink sheep, which I think, I think he's storing all of it in the sheep, like they're drug meals. Yeah, they're like
2: carrying it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And he has all these sheep and, uh, that they one dies and one falls over, but he still has two sheep. Which like <laughs> apparently the way that El Dorado works is you know the streets are paved with gold, filled with jewels. Everyone there is happy all the time, and like it means nothing to them. Mm-hmm. So basically, a handful of of diamonds or jewels or whatever from el dorado is enough to last you a lifetime of luxury mm-hmm. and the rest of the world so he walks and they give him everything they're like take yeah. it we don't need it mm-hmm. so he goes away from el dorado with you know enough to last him a million lifetimes mm-hmm. and then by the time he gets off the boat with the two sheep it's enough to last him 10 lifetimes and yeah. so then this governor gives him a shitty boat takes half of his stuff away so candide still has enough to last him three lifetimes mm-hmm. and and then he sings mm-hmm. one voyage which again super bop mm-hmm. amazing lyrics. And just like great for a comic actor who gets to sort of get a bit of a princess track and stop the show cold.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and again, it's like Candide can get away with things that I would be like in another show because they do it so well. And it just the absurdest tone of it all can hold so much playfulness, which is why, again, I'm not surprised that people are tempted always to expand it because you could play there forever. But should you? be judicious judicious is all i'm saying it's a night at the theater (laughs) it's a night at the theater we get stiff our old bones they get tired sitting in a chair
1: (laughs) (laughs) so i should also just say because i truly don't know what's going to happen with the audio with this uh when we were recording i did not realize that my airpods became my speakers for uh my computer so i was hearing just very muddled uh i could understand her but muddled and then (laughs) Her audio just cut out completely, and I went, "Oh no, something happened." And I thought it was just because I was so funny, I blew Jess's uh, mic out. But I no, did I'm laugh pretty very hard. And now I'm hearing her clear as a bell, and I'm not sure if Zoom's gonna work that way or not. <laughs> I don't know how Zoom works. I don't know if like your mic and the quality of that is what Zoom's catching, or if it's catching what my audio, uh, my speakers are catching. Uh, I don't know. Unclear. Neither. I don't know. That's not where my my area of expertise is. <laughs> Nope, I'm not a techie. <laughs> We're <I study>. artists. <laughs> We're artists. We're the talent. Yeah. Thank you very much. I went so, to grad
2: school for musical theater writing. So, so if
1: anyone's complaining about uh, <laughs> the audio quality at the beginning, just know I did my best. I didn't know how was I to know.
2: We're sorry. We do the best we can. We best now can- you appreciate the clear ending.
1: Yeah. Now I was like, this? oh my god. Listen. Mm-hmm. After it's, mm-hmm. like, it's just like Candide. After it's all just like mud- Candide. After all this mud- <laughs> on this now it's clear as a bell, and we get to our ending, which okay, <gasps> let's what we'll get him the old lady in her one buttock. <laughs> I'm, I'm easily assimilated. Fun song. And I think it's the only song that Leonard Bernstein wrote lyrics to. Everything else is like a million other people. Yeah. yeah checks out. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, we Are Women, you mentioned She's Delightful. They mentioned their vaginas that actually saying their vaginas. They're, they said parts my, we cannot my, mention that we know exist.
2: Yeah. And also, oh, my favorite is um, Memorable memories like Alpine Peaks. That is in that song. It's just fun in a song and a show with so much casual absurdist rape for them to be like, we're so powerful. People will just do anything if they see my leg. Like, Mm -hmm. it's fun to watch them sort of bask in that power and have a little, a little buddy buddy number, a little, a little kind of passing the Bechtel test in some ways. We're not really discussing men so much as sexuality.
1: Yeah, they're discussing about when men come up in that song, it's more about how they react to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: It's, there's something powerful about it. And in a very feminine way that I think is kind of delightful.
1: Yeah. But, but it's all in the tone of silliness, which is yes, why it, it works. Exactly. And, and no matter what you have to say about those characters, they are survivors. They make it to the end of the show alive. And as they have as some sort of,
2: yeah, absolutely. They have some sort of kinship between them. That is like, sort of like uh genuine that I like. you know, like uh, that could be Kuniganda in Twenty years, thirty years—I don't know how old she yeah, is. Yeah, that's but definitely we how the, an old woman to be.
1: Yeah, that's definitely how the novella kind of portrays it: is that Kuniganda is on her way to becoming the old woman. Yeah, uh, because
3: the,
1: the way Voltaire describes it is she has become ugly, but nobody told her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Voltaire! <laughs> yeah, which I mean, it's that it's that interesting thing where no one really talks to you about it. Like when those movies or those shows or those books where like the mom is considered sort of um, matronly and not very attractive. And she has these beautiful daughters and you go, how could that be? And then when I was talking to them, like, well, what are the daughters going to look like in 30 years? Mm-hmm. It's this crazy
2: thing that actually a lot of people in musical theater have never heard of, which is called like women age,
3: um, <laughs> like,
2: like living beings. Actually, we do get older and our bodies change just like anything alive. So it can blow the mind from time to time, but, uh, aging is really all <laughs> beauty is work, and beauty is pain. And what is beauty? And that would be a whole different podcast by Absolutely. me and my soap my little soapbox. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's yeah. It's that's why it's always like in the eye of the beholder. Someone <laughs> wrote on Broadway World once. Some, and if you are on Broadway World, you know exactly who this person is. They are uh, annoying to say the least. Mm. And a woman, which really surprised me in terms of like their rather sexist attitude towards Always performers. breaks my heart. They're out yeah. there. Literally <laughs> saying like, nobody wants to see not hot people on stage <laughs> deal with it. And I'm like, but what is hot?
2: Yeah. And I'm like, uh, based on what you think is hot, probably I do. Do you know, uh, one of the most, I just, I love come from away first and foremost, because I went to a theater and I saw people who looked like people, human beings. Let's yeah. set a standard that we're allowed to exist, um, in the bodies that we have and are.
1: Absolutely. And they're also good at what they do and they played and they played people. They played people and like
2: all shows in theory are depicting people. Mm -hmm. I we have plenty of shows about the hottest people alive I'm kind of interested in the other people
1: I would be less frustrated about the super hot people on stage if I thought all of them were extraordinarily talented and gifted and special but Mm -hmm. when they are wallpaper Mm -hmm. and sometimes when the and when that wallpaper sometimes gets nominated or wins awards for performing I'm Mm -hmm. like can we not yeah and I just feel and then I will get off my soapbox I swear and get back to Candide
2: that the most moving thing about theater for me is that when you see yourself or some of your your experience or some of your emotions on stage you feel like profoundly less alone and I think that that is just especially true when you can see yourself on stage and that is about representation and representation includes many things body size race gender sexuality and I just would like to see more everything there's room for it
1: well that's what I've always said this that's the answer it's just more more and more and more Mm -hmm. there's no one show one thing one person who's going to be the total package answer Mm -hmm. um we just keep on going for more and it's not to uh undermine the works that come out that are that are piling onto it I
2: love everything that's come and now I just want more more more
1: Absolutely, more, more, please, more. Yes, please, more. Yeah, that's that's our that that is our glitter and be gay. I want yeah, more.
2: Oh, beautiful. More, yeah, more, yeah. More, jewels,
1: more, more jewels, more diamonds, more please,
2: more jewels, <laughs> more diamonds, more Jews to have more sex Jews. with me and give
1: me jewels and diamonds. <laughs> I, you that Jew puts the Jew in jewels. Yeah. Listen, hey. <laughs> hey. And then he dies and puts the die in diamond.
2: He sure does. It's just great. The way that Candide stabs people is different production to production, but it's all just so one stab right away. Yep. The sword comes from nowhere. Sometimes it's usually nothing. Like it's his yeah. hand. Yeah. Oh no, I have killed. I have killed again. I, it's,
1: it's really like he tripped over a pebble. I have killed yeah. again. Oh, oh no. no.
2: Why does this keep happening to like, me? having
1: me and the is literally a himbo I mean, <laughs> he is, and he's a, he's he a totally sweet is. himbo. He really yeah. means the, he really means cinnamon well, which roll. is why we don't, yes, yeah, cinnamon roll. But it's like, every time he's like, look, we're happy, mate. <laughs> yeah, he, really,
2: and like, he knows at some point when he kills the Jew, it's kind of a reaction. When he kills the Cardinal five minutes later, he's like, oh shit. Oh, I have to kill him too. Don't I? Oh, I'm really <laughs> yeah. sorry. Okay. You're dead.
1: Yeah. I could totally. Yeah, you do. Go for it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's like, truly- that- like, yeah. that was full murder. Like,
1: yeah. I Kuna is the most like Becky of all Lady Macbeths that ever have been yeah. Lady Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Whereas Lady Macbeth is like, kill, kill for power. <laughs> Kuna is like, you have to kill, yeah, you gotta do it. Come yeah. on, let's go. I have all these diamonds, and then we can let's Instagram it later. Come on, yeah. <laughs> do it for the likes, do it for the follows. It truly is the vibe very yeah. deeply. <laughs> Hashtag murdered Monday. y'all. Hey, uh. <laughs> <Hey>, uh. <laughs> so. Kuniganda goes from there to loaf of bread, which is uh, where we're <laughs> at in <laughs> Make loaf Our Garden bro. After all the bullshit that these people go through, <laughs> mm-hmm. and C- Candide basically says, "Enough is enough." Mm-hmm. And we, and we have sorry, as like I said, we have, we get to this point in two different ways. We either have the original version or the way that the Scottish opera did it, which is the Venice Cavat, mm-hmm. where Candide uh, is rich, Kuniganda becomes. A whore bandit. Whore bandit. And, and he's like, look what you've become, whore bandit. <laughs> <laughs> He has a whole, like, 11 yeah. o'clock roses turn number. No, he has a whole um. how did we come to this from Lippa's Wild Party where he's like, yeah. look at you all humanity's dead. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> and she just kind of stands there like "What? this is not how my day was
1: supposed to go. <laughs> or is like I thought I was going to rip off some rich yeah. bimbo, but Ooh. here I am feeling bad about myself. Yeah, Whoops. so much guilt. Ouch. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I didn't come to this ball to feel guilty. <laughs> but so that's one way that we get to like micro grow and grow. The other one is that they finally, as a troop, reach the most intelligent man or like the the wisest man in the world, mm-hmm. who ends up being Pangloss, yeah, uh,
2: of course, <laughs> alive again. Yeah,
1: and I love uh, Candy, it's Like, I saw you get hung at the Inquisition, and Pangloss is like, "Did that happen? I guess that- it did." <laughs> <laughs> it's Still very, my favorite like, joke. Always yeah. gets me. Yeah, he's. It's very you know. I guess that did happen vibes. And he doesn't explain in the same way that we never really find out why the old lady has one buttock. I believe there's one version that implies it was cut off to feed a battalion. Yeah,
2: like cannibalism. And they were like, cut one buttock off of every woman and it would be delicious and they will survive.
1: There's also, there's a version of it where she's telling her life story in the boat about and it's the whole point of the story is when is like you don't know suffering and she's like let me tell you about how I have the one buttock mm-hmm. and then goes on this really long story about her life that doesn't end in her talking about how she has the one buttock yeah. <laughs> but in it and I don't think I think it's just in the 70s Wheeler libretto where she's talking about how she's about to get raped by like the general of this army mm-hmm. and he just looks he's lying on top of her and he looks at her with tears in his eyes and he goes, go, what? And she goes, and then he said, what a terrible time to be a eunuch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was in the 88 too. <laughs> yeah. yes. it's, it's a great line. And again, it tells you about the show. we like, the show is not telling you that sexual assault is funny. In fact, like it just... It, literally gay is almost like the pussy pop and aria telling you about like survivor's remorse and ptsd yeah, and how that affects it up
2: a as like oh this is the best of all possible worlds we're gonna say the worst of all possible things
1: yeah absolutely but so it's just it, it is able to have fun with mm-hmm. the toxicity of humanity in the same mm-hmm. way that like a martin mcdonough play does you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're not saying like, this is something to laugh at, but more sort of like, we're going to show you really terrible things. And the and the genius of us is you are still going to laugh about it.
2: Yeah, they really, really pull it off. I would be the first to say if they didn't, I think yeah. it's so lighthearted. And
1: when you just do it well, you just, they
2: <laughs> did it. it well,
1: when you do it well, you do it well. But <laughs> so this- is, was
2: on to something.
1: <laughs> he was. This is to say, we get to make our garden grow. The song that makes me cry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And no version that I've watched yet that's like staged has really done in a way that I would like to see it done. Cause it is a truly earnest song Mm -hmm. because it's all about, you know, there really is no meaning to it all and nothing really is of any part of major plan. Mm -hmm. We are all just ants. And what, so what do we do? Well, you know, contribute to the world, be a, be a person of the world and try to make a little some, make one square of the earth a little better than when you found it. Mm -hmm. which is very humbling to think about, but very true. Which is to say, like, no matter who you are in the world, you are still in this world, Mm -hmm. along with everyone else. We are no different from Kim Kardashian, despite the fact that she's got all the money (laughs) and all the fame. Mm -hmm. She's still just flesh and blood in a collection of molecules like we are, you know, Mm -hmm. which is why I love Kuniganda's lyric. So -hmm. like Candide has his opening lyric, which, you know, you've been a fool, so have I. And there's the great lyric that everyone sings, which is we're neither uh why wise, no, we're
2: poor no, nor wise nor rich
1: we're neither pure nor wise nor good that's the that's the yes lyric. good Yes. We're neither pure nor wise nor good, nor good. we'll do we'll the, do best, do the we best, we
2: know. best we can
1: yeah that's best, best we know because it's got a rhyme with grow Idiot.
2: oh my god truly Idiot. truly Matt. yes you can't forget the rhyme <laughs> it's well, Jesse you,
1: you always think it's gonna be we'll do the best we can but it can't be I can't
2: we'll do the best we know yes it's more yeah. iconic anyway yeah a little something on it
1: absolutely well because that, that's the other thing is you know you're when people say I'm doing the best that I can it's like you're doing the best you know how to do yeah you don't know it's it's a little little, more specific yeah because you're not we don't know if it's the best of your abilities you have to know more to know what your abilities Mm -hmm. could be but this is say Kuniganda's lyric she says she sings I thought the world was sugar cake or so our master said but now I'll teach my hands to bake our loaf of daily bread Mm -hmm. gorgeous first of all the imagery of that alone is gorgeous yeah yeah sugar cake and then bread And that she's going to teach herself to do it, that she's going to contribute. Because up until then, Kuniganda is not actually a person in the world. She's learning how to survive, but she's learning how to survive by having other people take care of her. You know, I will, by being the concubine of the rich Jew and I guess the Sultan or the Sheik or whatever it is, like she is giving herself up to them, but they are providing her with everything. She's not earning it herself outside of them, you know, Mm -hmm. she's relying Mm -hmm. on their, on their wealth. And so she's saying, I've now, I now understand that I need to have skills and to contribute to living, to yeah. help you and help you live. So mm-hmm. we can live. Mm-hmm. And I've listened to it. And again, speaking of the Kardashian of it all, I, it's me mm-hmm. saying to myself, like, who are you, who are you in this world? Who cares if you get the biggest slice of sugar cake? Can you bake a loaf of bread? Yeah. What are you bringing to the table?
2: Mm -hmm. And isn't that like probably ultimately a little more fulfilling than just receiving sugar cake? Like what's good is what we make, what we do. Uh Like there's something very, yeah, like true about the simple happinesses that are always within your reach, even when everything is horrifying Uh around you out there. We look to like small community and we look to small acts And I I, I don't know, I think small things are big things. You baked a loaf of bread. There's a reason a lot of people started baking in the pandemic. It's because like you accomplished something, you made that and then you eat that. Like, look I made a hat,
1: look look I made made a
2: hat. hat. Exactly, exactly that. Oh, now I'll cry a little
3: bit. (laughs)
1: is a balance to it all. Did you ever see Everyday Rapture with sherry Renee Scott? I have not. It was good, in my opinion. Should have one Best Book of a Musical and Best Actress in a Musical that year, but whatever. The show <laughs> begins, and, and it, she, the show begins, and she talks about how she, I guess she was in Times Square, she was somewhere, and this uh rabbi, I guess, like picked her out of the crowd. He's like, mm-hmm. you need to have two slips of paper, one in each pocket. One says, "I am a speck of dust," or like, "I'm like I'm a speck." In the world or whatever mm-hmm. and the other one is you know the universe was created for me
3: <laughs> yeah
1: and it's the boldness to try mm-hmm. with being humble enough to know that you are one of billions and will continue to be one of billions and have been one of billions and everything in this world you know it, it passes and luxurious things are wonderful to quote Bob's oh. Burgers, nice things are nice yeah <laughs> uh, i'm not trying to downplay that either Certainly and not. I, and Certainly I'm not trying to over easy. Yeah. And I'm not trying to overplay when someone's like, "I took two steps outside today and then went back inside." It's like, good for you, honey. Yeah. You <laughs> There's know, like, a balance in the world. Yeah, but you know, it's the it's the idea of just trying to do anything and then mm-hmm. trying to and learning more about it so you can do it to the best of your ability. And and as you said, oh, it's always about the more. You know, just always trying to make something better. You know, mm-hmm. it's why I hate participation medals not to sound like a boomer conservative but it's sort of like what's the point of even striving to go further than you ever possibly could if like everyone around you is going to do mediocre and get a ribbon anyway
2: yeah and it's like also just succeeding at the task is its own reward do we need little plastic trophies at all right i played softball as a kid like the young lesbian that i did not know i was and uh, you know like the fun part was doing it I, I have all those trophies, but I don't really care about
1: them. <laughs> well, I think there's, and I think there's something to recognize when someone is attempting. But yeah. when you again, and, and this goes back to make our garden grow and candy and, and all of it is just you know when you. When you know you can get away with mediocre and still get praise, that's yeah. when we stop growing as a society Mm-hmm. you're always aiming for improvement even if it's one square inch you are trying to make better that square inch of the world mm-hmm. as opposed to just looking around you and going fine enough and maintaining you know
2: yeah absolutely and small things are big things you know if they just take care of each other that's enough yeah. like if they just have that garden that's enough anything can be enough if, yeah. if you sort of choose it if you make it if you imbue it with meaning like in a, in a musical about philosophy where it's so much of it is just shitting on optimists which mostly I'm like yeah it's too much and then sometimes I'm like okay well we have to get through the day though guys yeah, ah. they, they arrive at someplace really thoughtful like they have an answer almost for you and it's like kind of a remarkable place to end as a philosophy minor I will tell you I ended every essay with we can't really know anything so I can't really like presume to say anything and I received a after a for that argument but like that's a little empty. Candide yeah. does more. Candide offers you something lovely at the end of like a pessimistic genre. It's kind of it's just like it's a very glorious ending. I think it, it speaks to why it's so affecting.
1: Yeah, it's very it's very earnest, very grand. What I would like to see do in a production of Candide because there's also that acapella section when they yeah, do that, we're neither, oh wise nor, <laughs> "we're neither pure nor wise nor good." So I'm stealing from Pippin here, mm. but as we get to that final number especially you know if you're doing the whole like it's all a circus and it's all theatrical whatever mm-hmm. as that number happens and everyone starts to sing like everyone starts to take off their costumes not to the point that they're oh, naked yeah. but just that they're now <laughs> they're just now they're like they're in their regular street clothes yeah and the set kind of starts to go away so we're on a bare stage the lights kind of come up so we're taking away all the artifice of this so this really like this this song that's all about just honesty and earnestness we're literally taking away all the theatrical artifice. So we're just stating Aww. the fact. And then as we build to that acapella moment, everyone takes off their mic packs. So, every, so that acapella moment Aww. happens with pure voices just singing out into the auditorium. So the last artifice of Broadway is stripped away and it's just people singing to people about people.
2: That's so lovely, Matt. My goodness. Thank you. All I, right. should, be, I should be a director. Get in there. Go map that yeah. production. Build the I world will. you want to see. I'll show up. I'll buy Thank all the tickets.
1: I mean, it's not Mary Zimmerman and flowers growing out of the sky, but it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's 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 the one thing about that song that every time I watch it, I'm like, there's something missing about this. While the music is so gorgeous, and everyone's singing it so beautifully, I'm like, it's such a like, you no, know, all out on the table. Yeah. No, uh, no sheen to it. So when I see like beautiful lighting and costumes and like set pieces moving around. I, part of me just goes, it's a little too fake. Even when like people yeah. on stage are going like, yes, emotion, emotional. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, it's still a little fake. So yeah. I just want, I want the least amount of fakery when that song happens.
2: I think that's so nice and such a nice a way to heighten where we land, which is such, we've been so high in the sky absurdist the whole time. It's been hilarious romp nonstop moving, traveling, raping, dying, war, death, hanging. And we get to land here. I think that's, it's a lovely idea that you would just shed all of that to arrive at sort of like, you know, it feels like the answer at the end of a lifetime. And it's like being handed to you now. And you're like, whatever, (laughs) you know, I'm still alive enough that I could take these words and get out there and be the best Jesse field I can be.
1: You know what it reminds me of? I'm assuming you saw everything everywhere all at once. Yes? I haven't yet. I'm going to see it next week. I had a busy week. Okay. It's really fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. It's everything you think it's going to be and nothing at all like you think it's going to be.
2: Yes. I'm so uh, excited.
1: But it reminds me of, and I, the first time I actually ever heard this was on the show, You're the Worst, where they were the two main characters who are terrible people. Uh, they eventually get married and what they first get freaked out by the idea of marriage. until mm-hmm. so they realize that like, because pe- people keep saying forever and they basically just go no just every day i'm gonna wake up and choose you and then like maybe there will come a day where i don't but as long Mm -hmm. as like every day we wake up and we go we still choose like be together right great okay moving on Mm -hmm. and then we like flash forward and they eventually have a kid and they have a life and all this stuff Mm -hmm. and eventually they stop thinking about how every day they have to make the choice and it's just yeah but it's the same thing without giving too much away about everything everywhere all at once it's like life especially the way that movie works it's like craziness and Mm -hmm. you get the idea of how it's both, everything is meaningless and yet all important at the same time. So why even bother? And then that's sort of what the main character goes. is like, yeah, so why am I still choosing it? And not in a way of, first in a way of like, why would I do that? But then it's like, well, it's gotta mean something if I'm always still gonna choose it. Mm-hmm. So even if it's like not a definitive answer or like the answer to end all answers, the fact that every day I wake up and I choose to be me and be with you and contribute to our life together, like that's the meaning, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. not- you know, it's not Moses coming down with the Ten Commandments, <laughs> but it's something. It's something. Yeah. I would, to, you know, title of the show has that song, I'd rather be nine people's favorite thing mm-hmm. than a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. It's mm-hmm. like, I'd rather make my square inch of land better by the time I'm dead than have 10 miles of land and not do a single thing with it.
2: Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. It's what you choose and that we get to choose what matters to us and what is meaningful. is like so heartening that something is in your control because so much of Candide feels like everything is out of their control. You don't choose war, you don't choose rape. What do they get to choose? ultimately they get to choose their day, their life, their little square of land. And it's like gorgeous because so too can we all. <laughs> our gardens all look different and our passions are all different, but we do get to choose. And it's a nice an- uh, antidote to like the hopelessness. I think that we sometimes fall prey to mm-hmm. in this big, cold, unfeeling world with climate change
1: everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. but it's <laughs> And yet somehow still the best of all possible.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's,
1: yeah. It's interesting, and it's always fascinating to hear different perspectives on both positivity and negativity of the world of things that are, that seem terrible that could possibly be good to someone else and things that seem amazing to us that could be possibly terrible to someone else.
2: Yeah, absolutely true. And that's what's, this is, okay, ultimately my favorite thing about Pandit is it gets us all talking about philosophy and the literal meaning of life. Here we are having such like a gorgeous conversation about that. And it's such a playful romp with just like gorgeous music. And then you're just thinking about it. It's, there's a lot there to mine.
1: Do you not have philosophy conversations after you see Mame?
2: Well, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I have not. Yet, open a window, bitch. You know, Matt. I'm really limiting myself. Thank God I came here to learn that.
1: Live for today. That's what Mame says. (laughs) Honestly, living for today is another kind of toxic philosophy. Because if you have a, if you live a whole day and you go, did I really live for today? You get down on yourself. Sometimes yeah. living for the moment is just living in the moment. And sometimes that means lying in bed and watching Netflix till three in the morning.
2: Sometimes that's the best thing in the whole world.
1: Yeah. It's about variety. Like any good yes. garden,
2: Ooh. variety
1: of mm-hmm. vegetables.
2: Yes. So true. Variety yeah. of life.
1: Yep. You have your slothy tomatoes. You have your mm-hmm. vibrant uh, kumquats. You have your, <laughs> you have your productive cucumbers, and that's then right. you ha- yeah, and then you have your, you know, sluggish parsley.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then some flowers just cause just cause they're pretty. They'll yeah. die. You can't eat them. Maybe you could eat them. I don't know.
1: <laughs> some flowers you can. Sure. Yeah. Some, yeah. Some Garnish. Can. yeah but, and, and they will eventually die, but then new ones will grow.
2: Yeah. And everything eventually dies. And like Mufasa says in the Lion
1: King,
2: the circle, of, the circle of life, baby. I don't know. Yeah. Like you'll, you'll turn into the worms.
1: And... <laughs> you know what? I don't remember that line, but now that you say it, it rings a bell. I recall James Earl Jones saying, the circle of life, baby. Eventually you'll <laughs> become worms.
2: Yeah, I'm just like super off book for every piece of content in the whole world. It's, it's pretty cool. It's a cool thing about me.
1: That's why we're iconic. <laughs> yeah, look at us go. Look at us go. I mentioned it earlier when uh, you were away and now you're back. And we did get a second production of, uh, sorry, a third production of Candy Dumb Broadway, our second revival, once again, directed by Hal Prince. Uh, at the Gershwin Theater, which was most importantly uh, done for two things. One, Jason Danielly's uh, Broadway debut, mm. right after doing Floyd Collins, and he's this gorgeously sung Candide. Ah. But Jim Dale was Voltaire Pangloss and the dude who sings Bon Voyage. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I don't know if the New York City Opera version is what started that, or if it really happened with that production. But like, because Jim Dale is Jim Dale,
3: mm-hmm.
1: versus whatever, They're like, you'll play a million different roles. And so the show also became like a star vehicle for him, which Mm -hmm. again is like not really the point of Candide. It's not supposed to be a star vehicle for anyone. Everyone's (laughs) supposed to get a chance to shine. Mm -hmm. Um, But then they also like expanded the role of the old woman for Andrea Martin and gave her all these added songs. Uh, So they took the Life is Happiness Indeed melody and gave her what they called the old lady's false first entrance and second entrance, which is like, it was Andrea Martin coming on stage and being like, I'm Andrea Martin and I'm off stage waiting. And you all know <laughs> that I'm going to be the secret weapon. Bring mm-hmm. me on stage already. Let's get going with the plot. And I'm like, you want to know what's stopping the plot? Your songs. Yeah. <laughs> Contributing to the problem, Andrea. Mm-hmm. The irony of it all. So yep. candied. When the thing you love is the thing that's poisoning your well. Uh, uh, dark days. Dark days mm-hmm. today. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So just let's wrap this up with some, uh, some mm. rapid fire questions. Let's do it. Question numero uno, over, under, or estimated. Do you think this show is overestimated, underestimated, or estimated?
2: It's a hard one because like, I don't have a good sense of public opinion on this show. I would say under because I think that most of my friends have not really heard of it or have not seen it. And I just think that people should. I'm gonna go under because I haven't heard anybody else besides you, Matt, like gush over it with me since high school. (laughs) It was was estimated in high school in New Jersey, Montgomery Township.
1: And that one time. (laughs) Yeah, I would say it's underestimated by a lot of musical theater fans and a lot of opera fans. Mm. I think for opera people, it's not operatic enough and for musical theater fans it's too operatic. So I think it's a little underestimated in that respect. I think musical theater fans who are opera buffs overestimate the show because they're Mm. like, enough with the comedy. It's important. And I'm like, sit the fuck down, Jezebel. And (laughs) I don't know why mm-hmm. I thought of Jezebel. No, she should sit
2: down. That's you sit down, Jezebel.
1: Much. No yeah. one's named you anymore. That's it. that's, that's right. you, you don't get to just be a <laughs> Betty Davis movie anymore. Mm-mm. Um, where I think it's properly estimated is by us.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. We really nailed it.
1: <laughs> Do you ever walk around, Jess, and just go. God, it's such a burden to be right all the time.
2: (laughs) I about half the time, and the other half of the time, I'm like, God damn it, Jesse, you idiot.
1: (laughs) We are hot, hot dum dums, just like Candide and Anthony.
2: It is hard to be this hot and this dumb. I know Mm -hmm. what
1: happened by accident.
2: I I killed three guys
3: today.
1: That's our people go, do your best impression of candy and we go,
3: I could my aunt's again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> While we shake our fucking tatas.
2: I feel like we knocked it out of the park. Yeah. That's yeah. Candy, in a nutshell. <laughs>
1: candy in a nutshell. You have to, you have to squeeze your mm-hmm. if you're men, you have to squeeze your boobs together. Mm-hmm. Shake it and go, I could my auntie <laughs> And
2: then it's like, you've seen it. You did it in one minute. <laughs>
1: exactly. Describe lame isn't under a minute. We're all poor and dead. There you go. So, <laughs> I mean, when you're right, you're right now. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I- Second question, the missing link. Uh, what do you think is missing from the show that could really kind of make it indestructible? Do you think?
2: Yeah, I do think it's the tightness. I- I'm not sure exactly like where the scale would hit perfectly, but I bet there's a balance that is close, Mm -hmm. like with the right amount of adventure that gets us there and we don't get tired of it. Because there are certainly, the thing about episodic shows like this is you could pull out almost anything and it would work overall, except for the beginning and the end. But so it's just like finding the exact right amount of Candide, like was it that hour 40 version with no intermission, like maybe, or was it that just exactly two hours, a little break? Maybe, but I think finding the exact right balance of adventure would would get most people through it in an
1: enjoyable way. Um, I would say if your production of Candide goes over two and a half hours, mm-hmm. something's wrong. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is the absolute maximum amount of time you're allowed to do Candide. Mm-hmm. And if that is the amount of time, there will be an intermission in there. Yes, um, yes, please. <laughs> yes, if it's intermissionless, if you go past two hours.
2: Oh, impossible. You can't. Yes. I mean, there, there will be an intermission. People will create it when they leave to pee when they must. <laughs> and good luck to the poor
1: ushers. <laughs> oh, God bless them. Uh, last question Castaway, who would you like to see in a production of Candide? Oh my God. What a great question. Um, I ask it for, I ask it in different ways for every episode. And yet my guests who keep coming back are like, Oh God, I didn't think of this. I'm like, I know I, in This I moment, like, because
2: I bet like given 10 minutes, I would have a great answer for you. I would just love to see like someone unexpected. I feel like every version of Candide is just like regular white people, which is fine. But like, shake it up like make it you don't need to that's not a part of the story in any meaningful way
1: um i would argue it would help audiences with the detachment of the monstrosity if you um do color conscious casting so you don't think of it too literally and think even more abstractly and then on top of that you open up the door to a myriad of talented people that Mm -hmm. i don't think i I think i use myriad incorrectly but whatever of talented individuals who otherwise maybe have never gotten to do the show
2: yeah. It's a fine line. Cause I totally agree. You don't want to think about so much trauma on, on anybody in a minority, but also it's fun and funny. And how do we let them in on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, like th- that's sort of the thing with Kuna Gond Is Yes. She goes through all this stuff. And, but again, you know, that's not such a light touch, but on the other end, like there's so many Sopranos out there. They're like, I just want to show off and be funny.
2: Yeah. You just yeah, let exactly.
1: me, I did i've I've done a couple of gigs for this one company. I won't say their name, and they're not really the ones to blame. It's the client who is to blame. Mm-hmm. But I had to do a web event with two actors from Hamilton. and it was for this corporate gig or whatever. And usually it's like, you know, tell us about a time when like the turntable broke. Oh, what's your favorite? Zung in Hamilton and mm-hmm. then like five minutes before I was told oh by the way they've been doing a lot this company's been doing a lot of work on diversity equity inclusion blah blah." blah. like could you talk about that with the actors and their experiences in the business so I was like okay first of all I am quite <laughs> second of all like that's not something that I just throw together throw in five, in minutes.
2: five minutes before yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. And so I had to message both actors privately and I was like I'm so sorry for what's about to happen I'm gonna do my best because I with no preparation but like this is what they're asking They didn't tell me until just now. I'm so sorry. Like, please, like know that anything I say is meant to like, just try to make the best of this. And I'll probably, and I'm probably going to fuck up. And they both said, and I quote, uh, it's okay. You know, I, we deal with this all the time now, which broke my heart. It's like, cause with an event like that, they've signed on just wanting to talk about like, yeah, when I auditioned or when my corset broke and all Mm of a sudden it's like, well, now I got to talk about my experience in the industry. And so and so while it's great to like be open and listen like again you never just assume that you know anyone's life mm-hmm. but again with with many actors in the industry we're now at a point where they're like yeah great I'm glad you're listening but also like just let me let me show off and do my thing
2: yeah they're here to be actors not teachers they don't <laughs> exactly. owe us
1: that <laughs> yeah 100% you know what I want I want if I'm going to cast Candide
2: yeah please I am
1: going to send out an open casting call to every young woman who auditioned for Christine and Phantom and got yes. turned away after the first callback. I'm going to say, come get your little pretty little ass in here. And you sing for me. You sing for me. you be funny. You come in and do what they told you you were too offbeat to do. Mm-hmm. Come in here and do it, bitch.
2: I would love that. That that is it, Matt. That's the dream casting. That's the dream process. And I bet you'd get something fucking amazing out of it.
1: And then they take off their mic packs and sing, let her make our garden grow again. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Because we're putting this on now. We're
1: putting it on today. We're going to go on the little island, little island on the Hudson River. (laughs) And I was going to be like, oh my God. Get
2: there right now. Run. It's happening.
1: Those are all my questions. Uh, Jesse. this has been exceptional. Thank you so much for doing this. Truly my
2: delight, my honor, my pleasure. Thank God somebody else loves candida out there, Matt. I appreciate you so much. A delight.
1: Taste. I love that there are people with taste out there.
2: Uh, Right? Oh my God. There's more than just me.
1: If you want people to find you, where can they find you?
2: Oh, they can find me at jessiefield.com or on my Instagram is at jsfieldfeeder with an ER because I made a mistake a long time ago
1: about what feeder
2: was. So it's, it's my brand now. <laughs>
1: That's different.
2: I'm, a, I'm a building.
1: <laughs> not a building. Concept. Yeah. You're a building. Uh, oh, is that the difference? ER is a building and RE is like the idea of it? I learned that very late in my
2: life, yes.
1: <laughs> I mean, I just learned about it now and I'm pretty sure I'm older than you. No, you said you were older than me last time.
2: I think, how old are you? Are we doing not We
1: never disclosed the actual ages and I refuse to do so.
2: Yeah, let's do it after we hang up the podcast.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think people know my age, you just don't. Um. So <laughs> if you want to find me, I'm on Instagram at Matt Koplick, usual spelling. If you like the podcast, rate, review, subscribe, give us a five-star rating. Uh, you will join us next week as we discuss another show that has a similar trajectory in terms of the cast album saving its uh, life after closing. But uh, I would argue a more complicated relationship with the score. Uh, we, of course, are talking about Mac and Mabel.
3: Ah.
1: Hmm. However, here's the thing. I promised you a little teaser uh, announcement about the podcast in this next episode. And here it is, y'all. Robbie Breakdown is getting a Patreon.
3: Whoa! <gasps>
1: here's the tea y'all all of you know that i've been going through every movie adapted from a stage musical of all time started with the 21st century and then we've moved it back to the 1980s and we're starting to go to the 1970s now i've given you my rankings of those movies so far the patreon will be dedicated to to these movies exclusively every episode will be the next movie that we uh, watch and I will have a guest on and we will talk about it and then I'll tell you where it is in the ranking you'll also get episodes of this series of Broadway Breakdown uh, a little earlier than you normally would there will also be some video content that I wouldn't normally share like probably some video from this episode
2: just (laughs) so you can see
1: our faces yeah, because uh, we do it yeah,
2: we cute. said we said we were hot 15 times so we better prove it
1: they need to you know what they need they need to see mm-hmm. us shaking our yabos shake, and going people yeah. <laughs> yeah. need to see my cute. shirt and wall just and wall blending. Oh, that's yeah. a treat
2: guys you'd be really missing out if you don't you don't <gasps> sign up for that when
1: i say eggplant i know what you're thinking but truly just this is just literal <laughs> eggplant
2: yeah it really is and it really is a perfect match
1: You've it got really it. is i didn't notice it till i did it oh my god Uh but yeah so that's the exciting news Patreon. Don't ask me when. I'm assuming that this episode comes out at the end of May if if my timing is correct, which means the Patreon will probably be happening about a week or two after this episode comes out. Yeah, but that's yeah, that's the exciting news. So I will make sure you guys all have the links for that. I have to learn how Patreon works between now and (laughs) when I'm recording this, and I (laughs) set up the Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Love the vibe. uh Yeah. So yeah, thank you so much for listening, guys, and uh, we'll check you out next week for Mac and Mabel. Now we close out every episode with a Broadway diva. I want to make sure. That we have not done Miss Andrea Martin yet. We're gonna do Andrea Martin. I don't think I've ever done her. So we're gonna it's close out. With yeah, we're gonna close out with Miss Martin. So thank you so much, Jesse. Thank you for listening everybody and I'll catch you next week. Take us away, Andrea. Bye <laughs> 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 oh,
0: It's time to start living. Time to take a little from this world we're given. Time to take time cause spring will turn to fall. Just no time at all I've never wondered if I was afraid When there was a challenge to take And I never thought about how much I weighed When there was still one piece of cake
2: Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud